All right, so here we are, guys. We are episode number 291. Light them up, boys. Light them up. Oh, and they're out. Uh, so big fun tonight. So to my left, we have Chris Smith. And to his left, Dan Cromkey. And to his left, Johnny Mack. And to his left, Sleepy Cinch. And your humble narrator, Phil Waters. Here we are at Cleveland Moto, episode number 291. We come back inside today because we have many things going on that we're going to want to have better audio quality than Cleveland in the evening next to the street and the road with the homeless, etc. And there goes the last silver bullet, or the second silver bullet, we should say. And today, joining us with, uh, joining us from Janice Motorcycles in Goshen, Indiana, is Richard Worshin. Hey. How you doing, man? Hey there. Hey there, buddy. Uh, so we're very, we're very happy to have you guys on the podcast because, one, from when you guys were doing the demo at AMA Vintage Days a couple of years ago, um, you guys, I think, aren't you the guys that ran in and help out when the firework landed on somebody's camper? What was that? Was Were, were you there the year that somebody's uh, flare got ran akimbo at mid-Ohio and ended up going into somebody's like pop-up camper and catching place on fire. I don't. I don't think we were there. You were that, part of that operation. That pretty good though. I mean, oh, yeah. I'm not surprised to hear that. Yeah, it was. It was a pretty. But I was wondering because I know that you guys were in the infield that year doing demo rides. That's or, right. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that may have. I. You know what happened was I came in only for a day that year. Okay. And then, uh, uh, so I wasn't. Was then there was the next year that had the incredible storm. Yes. And everybody's everything blew away. <laughs> Easy apocalypse. It really is. And so, th- I mean, that is really cool. Now, so the reason we're excited to have you on is uh, Chris from our podcast had gone out to visit you guys. And Chris uh, had told us, he's like, yeah, he goes, I think I'm going to get one of those Janus motorcycles. And now you were looking at the Halcyon? Correct. Yeah. The Halcyon, right? And so just a little bit for our podcast listeners, we've got around 5,000 people a week that listen to our podcast for some strange reason. We don't know why, (laughs) but they, um, but the one thing that we haven't beat to death is Janus motorcycles. And the reason for that is nobody here has one and we've never had one come into the shop to be serviced or anything. Um, just because you guys are, you you guys are essentially building a hand-built motorcycle over there, aren't you? That's right. We build everything from the frame to the um, fuel tanks, fenders, and the parts that we we don't we supply we you know source in. But almost everything has to go through. Uh, you know, it's basically from scratch uh, uh, on everything from all the all the parts that make it a Janus, especially the frame and the all the tin work as they call it all over the bike, the leather and all that stuff. So you don't have so much of a as a factory as you have like a workshop where people are are building things. Yeah, you know, if uh, one way I've, I've thought about it is, you know, if, if we had a factory that had everything that we do in it, it would probably take up a, it would be a, a, a plant. Um, but instead, we're in a fairly small building in downtown, like right in the heart of Goshen. And, you know, that's where we do the final assembly. But our, our actual, which is more of a kind of like a workshop than a factory. But then the, the rest of the, uh, of the suppliers and people that are making the parts are all over this county, which is Elkhart County, Marshall counties, uh, Kosciuszko, and there's just a kind of network of many Amish craftsmen, no um, but also uh, um, people like. Uh, while we're in New Paris right now, right down from Goshen, and our, our machinist is, is is here in New Paris, and he does a lot of stuff for the biomedical, you know, field, which is a big thing down in uh, Warsaw, Indiana, a couple of miles to the south. 
Wow. So, you know, I've always thought about, you know, Elkhart and that whole region. There's so much manufacturing that goes on there um, for the recreation and power sports industry. And I never thought about the tie-in for Amish craftsmanship, too, because you guys have a lot of really beautiful leather work and stuff on your bikes. Say that one more time. You guys using that Amish Amish craftsmanship, because I noticed on a lot of your bikes, you have a lot of really cool accessories that are... Um, yeah, very yep, period correct, uh, very period correct <laughs> leather work that we wouldn't expect to see on a modern motorcycle, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, and that's, that's, uh, we definitely had an affinity for that as part, we knew that was going to be part of the design, mm-hmm. um, for the bikes, but, uh, it's these, we, we go to a Amish, uh, harness and saddle maker to make the, all the leather work and he makes every single piece of leather that goes on a halcyon or the battery caps that are on your phoenix or griffin it's all made by this guy wow. you know in his barn that's <laughs> where he gets fantastically cool. the job he does um and that's true of just so many of the of the accessories we do like the, the little add-ons and, and, and things there's just so much uh uh story in the in the material that's being used and the way it's being done. It, it, people, it really captivates people. And it we does. have fun doing it. And that's, I think that's one of those biggest things that when people see your bikes, because it does look like an old board tracker and because it does look like an, a twenties era motorcycle, um, it immediately it's because the fifties era motorcycle or sixties era motorcycle might be a, a tad played out. Um, and now we're not blaming triumph for the complete, walking on that forever i mean if harley davidson has taken the cruiser to the you know well we've proven you can do nothing more with the cruiser at this point triumph has definitely taken the british classic motorcycle um and said well we've clearly run that into the ground at this point your bike harkens to an earlier era and it it has a personality to it that's right yeah and then we don't we definitely do not um claim to be uh, you know, reviving a specific period. Um, but you're right in the sense that we are looking maybe, uh, the, the, the scope of what we're looking at for these bikes is wider than say the sixties or seventies in England or in Japanese motorcycles. Um, it's really saying, you know, we're, we're not going to try and make a replica of a 1927, whatever, but rather, why did we have to ditch all the beauty of that period? And you're and right. Boy, the that really comes and through. the attitude about, uh, of a rough superior or a Zenith or whatever, you know, um, uh, beautiful motor machines. Cause that period for me, at least as the designer is really like, it's not that I'm obsessed just with that period, but it's that, that the bikes in that time frame, and not just the motorcycles, the, the locomotives, the automobiles, the airplanes, um, they were really figuring out what a machine should look like and they managed to strike this wonderful balance. And I say this a lot, but the wonderful balance between form and function and the the form was so evident in everything, you know, like look at a 1920s motorcycle. I don't care what brand it is. And they look a certain way because they function a certain way, but they also managed to make all these like formal design decisions on things like the cylinder fins and the, Mm -hmm. Yeah, they made it look beautiful because it had to, because you had to see it. So uh, that's why we really, especially the Halcyon, um, is is really kind of it's reaching pretty deep <laughs> into yeah. the history of motorcycles. It is, and what I really respect about that is, you know, your decision to use the Earl style front fork. Yeah, uh, that's a really really smart thing for whether or not people can look on there and go, oh hey, I recognize that shock absorber, I recognize yeah. where that came from. 
But by using the Earl's fork, you're immediately going, hey, this is a way that people used to do it. And it's a way that as a sidecar enthusiast, I can tell you works really, really well. And yes, exactly. Yeah, sidecar people always kind of go, oh, last time I saw one of those was on a you know, BMW or a Girl yeah. or whatever. Yeah, um, so that's really and neat. I, and then your the styling that you use with your gas tank uh, configuration and that uh, very early style featherbed, featherbed style frame, that big giant loop frame that you guys use. Yeah. It's really cool. And that's, I mean, that's one of the things. I'm pulling some pictures up for the guys to see as we're going through it. And if you look at that Halcyon that one of your uh, riders has set up with the sidecar rig, a utility yeah. sidecar, and you look at that configuration of having the, you know, the solo saddle seat, the passenger seat, the buddy seat, that it's its own individual pad, the big wide bars, the Earl's front fork, and that long 20-style gas tank. Man, I mean, everything on that bike <laughs> just screams, this is... This is something that hasn't been beat to death yet. This is an Art Deco style. This is something that represents an era. I would. I think that's called yeah. pre-war. Pre-war. You know, well, absolutely. I, I love yeah. old pre-war bikes yeah. that have, you know, either like the the, the leaf spring front suspension right. yeah. with the beachcombers and stuff like that. Uh, you know, big yeah. wide handlebars and stuff. So it's have, really neat. Do you have? Do you, do you do the reverse lever kit? So you can. Oh, have, you know, that was the first rendering I ever did. First sketch of a Halcyon I ever did. It had, as we call them, you know, uh, suicide, suicide levers. Yeah, suicide we've levers. Never, we've never um, uh, actually ended up using them on, a, on one of our uh, bikes. But I guess that would that be brings, really cool. I would think we should do that someday. I guess that brings the question, too, of like what it was like to try to go through getting these approved for the market, like safety issues and well, stuff that, like I that. Was, yeah. like, I was just yeah, about man. to ask you, like, how does one, like, you guys are your own you know, motorcycle company. Like, how did it start? Were you just sitting around with your buddies and you're like, you know what, we're going to do this. Like, wh how, what was that hurdle like? Like, wh what happened? Yeah. No, it was, um, I worked with my, the guy who founded the company with me, um, Devin, uh, Devin Beak and I, he, I worked kind of like in the summers. I was in grad school and I had a moped and I met this guy and, and kind of befriended a whole group of people that, that rode motors mopeds. Well, that would be the you know, moped uh, army at that point. European mopeds. Yeah. And, so um, were you dealing with the moped army guys? Oh, yeah. We were one of the 18 branches. The motion yep. left is the our, cutters. our branch. Yeah. And so, yeah, we've got a lot of friends <laughs> we, up we in... We were just south of the Decepticons during Kalamazoo, who sure. you know, is kind of the founding... Yeah, I was uh, going to say, we've got a lot of friends in Michigan that are still loyal members of the Moped Army, so... Uh-huh, yep. yeah, well, yeah, we were definitely, for, for many years, I actually met my wife through Moped Army. Uh, wow! Both moped riders, and that, I guess that's a great segue into why you, <laughs> more about the story, like, it was that kind of, like, uh, I really liked lightweight bikes, mm -hmm. and they were approachable. I, I, I would, my father, my parents, no one in my family rides motorcycles. It was just never something I was interested in. And we, it took the kind of fascination with the design of the bike. Like, I got we, growing up, we did have a uh, Vespa, and my, it was my mother's Vespa. She would ride this vintage Vespa around, and that experience was like really cool. And so then I, thought, I found this little Italian moped, and I thought, oh, this is beautiful. It looks like a tiny motorcycle, but it's more kind of tongue in cheek, fun, and accessible. I don't have to get an endorsement or whatever. And motorcycles are scary. So anyway, we, I uh, met Devin through mopeds when I moved up to grad school and worked with him over the summers doing like actual, it sounds crazy, but custom moped builds right. yeah. for clients in Chicago or wherever. And he had, a, I think he had one or two like really high, like, you know, right below a celebrity <laughs> customers. Uh, it was kind of neat, neat. So anyway, then we, we kind of developed through that customization process, a network of 
vendors. And it all started with powder coating. Mm-hmm. We had this Amish powder coater, and then we would ask him, like, hey, if we, went, if we wanted to make a two-stroke expansion chamber exhaust, where would we go? I'm imagining uh, a wood-fired powder coating oven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, but it really is it's completely been word of mouth in this county through the Amish community. Um, um, I mean, I'm not, there's, we do have some non-Amish vendors, and they've, but this, again, word of mouth, you just kind of learn about this stuff. But anyway, we uh, were, I think we were just like sitting around drinking a bottle of wine or something, and we, we out, out on the, yes, we were at, at an Italian restaurant, and it was just on the streets, and it was really fun. And we were like, what if we actually started making a, you know, small production run company? And for some crazy reason, I was very naive or, you know, dumb. We, we, we agreed to do this and we did it. And it was really, you know, it took, it's, it's been a long time coming. We kind of laugh now that, you know, we think we're, we're just getting started. We still consider ourselves a startup. Yeah. And then you kind of look at the calendar and you're like, oh, crap, we've been doing this for eight years. You're a little, yeah, your plucky little um, startup company has been doing this for almost 10 years. years. We're probably all just getting ready in the 50cc and then. It wasn't until the 250 was launched that we kind of came into our own and are now a brand that, you know, we're, we're not well known, but. Oh, you're well known. You've been on. Motorcycles have heard of a Janus before at this point. Richard, you've been on Jay Leno's Garage, right? I've, I've That's seen, right. I've yeah. seen your bikes on Jay Leno's Garage. Um, I know so many people in the motorcycle industry that as they're, we're fully aware of Janus motorcycles. And mm-hmm. it's funny because when you started. We remember when you started your kit bike program, your moped kit bike thing, mm-hmm. and you had some real crazy ideas that were coming out of like a build your own bike program. And, you know, your bike's going to, you, you, you hunt and pick your parts over here and you hunt and pick your motor over here. And this is how you put it together. And uh, I remember when those things were first being put out, like when you were starting with that program, I thought that was a really clever way to do it because... Every bike is a self, a self-made bike, and I thought that was really brilliant for people who wanted to get their skin in the game. And yeah, huh. it was really yeah, cool. We, uh, yeah, we definitely when the fifty CCs were more were more sort of uh, customizable, and mm-hmm. we spent a lot more time on them. Um, but I guess I would say that you know all along we have been trying to do to get away from doing that custom sure thing, and now kind of turning. I mean. Don't get me wrong. I love doing, making, letting people make their bike exactly their own. Mm-hmm. But also, I think Devin and I, from the very beginning, we're th- we thought we wanted to be like manufacturing a production thing with right. replicable parts. And so now I, I don't feel bad. Um, you know, I, I, I it's, it's so amazing we can offer so many different options. It's very labor intensive, but. I, we don't really feel too bad when we say, "Hey, we're going to kind of limit the number of colors you can get to these eight colors because we're so we have so many more than most other options that most people have, and we like the idea of a production company." And I, you know, we worked so long with Royal Enfield, and so we're familiar with that program. Uh, John, is it raining outside? Please say no. I'm check. Just go out and check it real quick because I know your Corvette's open. So, uh, so yeah, we were working <laughs> with Royal Enfield, and with Royal Enfield. Um, you had your choice sometimes of one color, right? Yeah. Sometimes you had your choice of maybe two. And we find that in our industry, you know, that when you have six or seven or eight, a spray of six or seven or eight different colors, 
it can be kind of dodgy. It can be kind of sketchy because mm-hmm. your customers demand that you have all of those in stock at one time, and that really can screw up your production. Yep, yep. I mean, it, we still, to this day, every, every piece of fender or, or tank is made for a specific, has a customer's name associated oh, with, bike really? with it. Oh, really? Oh, that's so great. We, we don't, we don't, we're, we're getting, we're about to get to the point where we can stock, like, the, the most common colors. Right. Um, but we, we still, we've kind of dipped into that every once in a while. We're like, oh, we know they're going to be, like, at least five cream halcyons, so we can put aside a couple of these. But for the most part, <laughs> they are, uh, they are literally polished up and sent out for that customer with their name on it. Okay. Well, that, I mean, that's amazing. And uh-huh. to, to do that, and what you're doing is what the British would call a bespoke motorcycle company. And that's, you know, if Chris wants to have, a, a, you know, a Halcyon, you're going to build Chris's Halcyon. Yep. And that's a yep. very cool way to do it. I mean, we talk about the magic of just-in-time inventory and the way our shop changed over the last 20 years. We went from having a half a million dollars of parts in stock that we were just watching as a, a weird number on our balance sheet and our tax guy was having shit fits to literally just keeping the parts in stock that we need on a daily basis and anything else we order in as we need it. Because the days of us keeping, you know, 400 Woodruff keys in stock for a Vespa motor that only 18 people in Cleveland have, that's kind of silly, you know? Well, mm-hmm. shipping, shipping yeah, and delivery has become so good these days. I mean, with UPS, FedEx, whatnot, I mean... You can get a part in in a couple of days. Unless so, it's coronavirus. Unless it's coronavirus. Right. In which case, right now, I'm sure you're going through madness with getting parts supply or support because everyone's social distancing at 45 miles per hour. Yep. Everybody wants yep. their bike no, 10 minutes ago. but Yeah, we actually felt quite a bit of that early on, but now it's basically just shipping times are insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's really, and inexpensive. And, and and that's the, that's what people are having a hard time realizing. We used to sell so many accessories online until we realized that shipping a windshield, a motorcycle windshield from Cleveland to California is more than the cost of the windshield. <laughs> so you tell a customer like, yeah, this windshield's $129, but shipping it is $99. Right. And because the the shipping rates for everything changed so dramatically <clears throat> when Amazon came into the fold. So it just changed the way it, it was for a small company to move a rather odd-sized object from point A to point yep. B. It's yep. cheaper to buy it a seat on a bus. Yep. So, <laughs> just kooky, man. So I have a question for you. So when you guys were like starting to, to really put this together, what was the process like to find your power mill? Like, like how many places did you have to go, or what, what made you finally decide and be comfortable with the one that you're using? The motor. Which, which part were you talking about? The motor. The motor, yeah. So, so that's a wonderful story, and and, and it's a uh, the, the history of that engine is, is really amazing. But yeah, that the we we were looking all over. We looked at Italian engines. We were looking at uh, what is it? Um, um, the, there's a number of these two-stroke Italian engines. Oh yeah, and yeah. so we we did initially start with the the Spanish one. It was a two-stroke. Couldn't get it through EPA. No way. Didn't even. It was just yeah. going to be really. We knew it was going to be too difficult and we wanted to kind of upgrade anyway we, we felt like we wasn't quite fast enough so we started looking for a something in that 250 cc category was definitely was like a no-brainer right like that's a great intro bike um anything smaller than that and you really start losing power with a four with, you know to be on the highway with a four-stroke engine you want at and least so, 10 horsepower maybe 20 if you can really yeah, you know yeah. like 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we uh, then we we found well. Th- this engine was definitely on my radar as something I wanted uh, to consider because it's so reliable and because we knew that we were going, we were going to have a, a kind of a unique business model in the automotive, you know, motorcycle industry right. by doing direct to consumer. And that's the only way a small company with the, the limited resources that we have had and still have um, can do what we do is with a minimum overhead. Um, so we, we, uh, we wanted, we wanted an engine that could be fixed either by the owner with our direction remotely or be fixed by a motorcycle shop without any trouble or specialty tools or special training. Mm-hmm. So obviously, what is the motor that every motorcycle, at least a vintage you know, repair shop can fix is a Honda CB. Um, that's like bread and butter, um, uh, especially for uh, maybe a... Maybe not for brand new young mechanics, but uh, but uh, you know the ones that are good uh, right at this point. So anyway, that 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 C- CG is a great story because it was developed by Honda to basically be more reliable than the CB. Um, the CB was uh, is a overhead um, uh, cam. Um, you know, it was a very sophisticated motor for its time. Uh, right. You know, the, the CB seven hundred and fifty uh, uh, being a what a fantastic motorcycle that was. Um, but the CB125 uh, was, wasn't doing as well against its competition in kind of like developing third world countries. So it, it, Honda was, has always been more reluctant to do two strokes. Um, at least I feel like that, you know, like their, their competition was making a lot of two strokes that were fewer moving parts, simple, more powerful per, you know, CC and um, easy to maintain. And so Honda's like, well, we're just going to make our four-stroke better. And so they developed the CG, which is just like a over some more, even more simplified version of the CB. Not as powerful, um, doesn't have any ability to upgrade or per- improve performance, really, much to speak of. That's a pushrod motor? Like, say that again? That's a pushrod motor, not overhead cam? It's a pushrod motor. So yeah, the, the uh, cam lobe is down on the crankshaft and pushes two real short pushrods. Um, and, and, you know, it's, um, uh, adjustable, um, valves. So really simple to, you know, you do, you have to do the valves more often, but it takes you like 10 minutes. <laughs> it's, it is, it's so. one of those things that, so that motor, when it was the CG 125, it appears in so many Asian bikes. I mean, I can't, it's hard for me to think of an Asian bike that isn't available using some variant of a Leafon yep. or a Honda CG 125 motor. Uh, yep. anywhere on planet Earth except for the United States. There are just millions of them yeah. uh, around the world running, and they're, they're doing the kind of riding we don't really know about over here, which right. is, like, it's not leisure riding. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, I mean, a know. valve adjustment on that motor is what? About four bolts to take the valve cover off. Mm-hmm. And it looks with your layout, there's plenty of room to get the valve cover off. And oh, yeah. It's plenty. just a, a couple tappets that you adjust right there right. up on the top. Or there's just rocker. Two. Yep. yep. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's uh, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, our, our service guy can do it in under 10 minutes. It's just uh, <laughs> super, super simple. Um, and even our, our customers, you know, that aren't necessarily incredibly mechanically inclined can watch our video on it and, right. and step-by-step be walked through. Imagine that, doing your rounds on your own vehicle. Like, a lot of people don't, don't even consider doing that. And I know, and that's... awesome, and they really enjoy it. So we're, it's, it's, a, it's an experience. The bike, owning the bike is an experience so that we try and make more than just about riding it. It's about... 
Do you have a video on how to set the points? Say that again? Do you have a video on how to set the points? <laughs> the points, yeah, we don't have points. <laughs> oh, okay. we're not, oh, we're not that authentic. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> not, not that, no, no, we, we are very, we consider ourselves a modern, yeah. you know, motorcycle company. I'm the grumpy old guy who, I'm the grumpy old guy who likes points CDI. over ignition, <laughs> electronic ignition. Yeah, that's right. But I, yeah, I'm sure on this bike, having electronic ignition is very handy. You know, people it, don't need to suffer through that. We we can we can just not have to adjust points very happily. Yes, exactly. I mean, that's why, you know we we cut our teeth you know doing the, the points on the old mopeds and older older CCCDs and stuff like that. But uh, uh, everybody, by the time we were finishing up, we were, we're get, kind of getting out of mopeds, was putting in internal rotor CDIs on there. Well, I got a question <laughs> for you, Richard. <laughs> and uh, it's cool, and you can, then you can adjust the timing and it's. Uh, so Richard, uh, anyway, yeah. Well, I, well, one of the things I thought was pretty cool is when I look at your lineup of your motorcycles because I think that it's very thoughtful. So when you've uh, what you've done is I think pretty clever, and I don't know if other people are going to pick up on this, but I feel like by having the three models that you're pushing, the three models that you have made available to us, the Griffin is a that satisfies people's urge to say that they're having an adventure. That's that's their, the <laughs> yeah. that's the hey, look at me, I can adventure too, right? But it still has so many elements of a vintage bike, being their Earl's front forks. Um, the shape of the gas tank is very cool, very <laughs> retro, and it does have some. You know, it's got being a lightweight single cylinder with a high pipe. I think that that bike is going to satisfy people who are going to go like, look, I can go off-road because I'm sure that you hear every day people, you're probably really tired of hearing the term Himalaya, right? <laughs> and and that is one of those things that like the Himalaya hit the market and you'd think that nobody would ever seen a motorcycle with knobby tires on it before <laughs> for under $10,000. But I think that your Griffin really captured that. I think it, it looks to me like a rough and tumble motorcycle of the recent, like post-war era. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's. Yeah, you kinda, if you kind of divided it up, you know, the Halcyon would be like 1915 to 1938, <laughs> yep. and then the, uh, or maybe a little later than that, and then you have right. the, uh, the the Phoenix. Then the Phoenix totally comes 50s in. Fifties and sixties cafe. Right. But yep. it's a pretty, it's a pretty rough and tumble bike. Yeah. You know, it's got beautiful fit yeah. and finish and styling. For something that that really looks like I'd feel comfortable going down a dirt road or on some trails and stuff. Yeah, like that. I do give, and that's the joke. Is I mean, obviously, you will hear us making fun of the name of your company only because we're children. Uh, but <laughs> I but, don't know if you listen to any of our other podcasts, yeah. but in case you do, but but looking at your builds and the bikes that you're building for people, for any of the consumers I work with, for your price point on your motorcycles we couldn't have any of our people go out and just start with nothing and build a motorcycle and end up with something as refined as what you put together. I do want to call attention to the fact you've got disc brakes front and rear on, right. on your machines. So don't let the 250cc pushrod motor fool you. There is some very capable kit on these bikes. Um, and I think that Having that idea, of, I'm sure everyone asks you all the time, like, when are you going to do a 400 or a 500? But I don't that's know. A, that's exactly what I was thinking because you've got the GN 400s over there, right. yeah. which is based off the like an XR4. It's an XR 400 motor. Yeah. yeah. Which is the same thing that now you see when you get into that motor, though, you are getting into an overhead valve motor. Yeah. And uh, companies like Shine Ray 
have done Chinese companies with that motor have done really really well mm-hmm. with the original licensing they got from Honda mm-hmm. and keeping the motor alive with the RVPC or, or the the rotary valve head. Okay. So those things are all very very practical, and yeah, it looks like your frame has a few inches to spare, uh, where you know different motors would fit in there. But I do think that by making it. You know, we've got three different channels of bikes. We've got one motor. Are you doing anything other than the 250 motor now? No, no, just the 250. It's okay. kind of like the the backbone of the of the whole line is having a modular system. You know, the frame is kind of modular. You know, on the the Halcyon, the Phoenix, and the Griffin all share the same exact frame. We try and share as many parts as we can, and that goes back exactly to what I was saying earlier about that kind of a uh, um, low overhead. You know, you don't want to order. No. Eight different kinds of things you want to keep it as simple as you can have one if yeah. you can't suffice with that so, so you mean i could have the three-in-one bike i buy the the bike as a griffin but i get the tins and the seat for one of the other models and i can swap it out and, and reconfigure it uh yeah well i mean you could <laughs> theoretically but <laughs> yeah. uh, it would be a quite a quite an operation <laughs> you'd be more than willing to if you want to spend the money you'd be will, more than willing to send sell me all the parts right, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's right yeah we've done a couple of people wanted like an extra fuel tank or something just mm-hmm. to they wanted an alternate or something or a different seat we'll, we'll do two different versions i did want to mention that too so if you if the guys want to go to your website it's janismotorcycles.com your wide line seat is only 150 dollars. that is insanely cheap or i should say <laughs> that's that's, right. that's incredibly affordable that's yeah, right. We try and keep them as affordable. Really, it's a, it's a, um, it's interesting to do this in the states. I think we could probably charge more other places in the world. Right. Um, but but the the concept of the two fifty. Right. Uh, it does sort of have a ceiling to it. Yes, it we're, does. We're definitely exploring. <laughs> yeah. It does price you down, and that it does it does give you an artificial ceiling to what people will spend. But your tool bag um, for one hundred and fifty dollars looks fantastic. The picnic basket, boo-boo, is gorgeous. And, like, the craftsmanship on that, it looks like a Longaberger basket, man. I mean, it really looks, the design work, the, the fabrication on the picnic basket. And you guys do have a leg shield option for your bikes, is that correct? All the, all the, leg, all the wet parts? Um, so you guys do offer a leg shield option for your that's bikes. Right. Yeah, we do. Yeah. So, so that's kind of, to me, I was always fascinated by those... Yeah. Um, I don't know, there's some English bikes in the yes. 50s and 60s that tried to be, like, super practical, and they yep. put leg shields on them. And, and then, of course, you know, you don't notice them as much on a Harley-Davidson or an Indian, but they have them, too. Right. Um, and but we made them real kind of utilitarian-looking. Well, uh, I think it really looks cool. I love all the British or the Italian motorcycles from the early 50s, and a lot of companies, Moto Guzzi, um, Moto Rumi, a lot of these companies were building motorcycles that had these leg shields and you're right. It was amazingly utilitarian because after the war, they didn't have a lot of extra money. So yep. your bike had to do everything in all weather. And those leg shields, and I think it's just a classic look with the crash bars, the leg shields going over the crash bars and the picnic basket on the back. That <laughs> is seriously, that is without intending to do it. You are far more interesting than the Harley guy parked next to you. Yeah. You well, we like have a, certainly found that to be the case. Yeah, <laughs> you'd be a good resource for people that want to, you know, add some accessories to their bike to just browse through your accessories, and maybe they could get some really nice leather crafted bags mm-hmm. or something that they could put on any bike. You know? Yeah, yeah our our adventure bag for the Griffin can fit on any uh, luggage uh, pannier rack, um, and they're they're beautiful. And, you know, Martexan is a, a hundred year old 
wax canvas company that we get it from, and um, the leather is all you know made by this Amish guy. And they're, they're well, that's a, I, I had that question. You said it was Amish tooled leather. I'm like, how far away was the cow that gave up that leather? Is that also from Indiana or no? Locally sourced? Uh, yeah, our leather we get from, um, you know, a big uh, uh, tannery supply. And um, and the leather we currently, yeah, we try and get as much as close as we can. And we're actually tr- we're trying to start up a relationship now with um, Seidel Leathers up in, uh, I think they're what, either Wisconsin or Minnesota. And they really are like very local. And we're going to start... I hope being able to offer more of their leather. All right. So now, because years ago, myself and James, we were involved in a publicity stunt where we did. Uh, we were involved in a publicity stunt where we drove a 125 cc motorcycle cross country, and uh, we did it the hard way over over Denver, over uh, Shrine Pass, through uh, uh, Vale and Breckenridge, Colorado. Uh, I noticed you guys have the Janus Mileage Club. I was just about to say that. Like, what's the highest guy? Well, who's the highest mileage? I mean, because that's pretty cool that you've got yeah. people out there that are putting miles on your bikes. And I know you guys rode cross country too, didn't you? That's right. Yeah. I just wanted to check real quick. Is, is my audio cutting in and out at all? No, no, you're sounding good. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, yeah you, you all. I'm, I'm actually having a hard time hearing you. I apologize for keep repeating yourself but it's i didn't okay. hear that part i just wanted to ask if i was cutting out but um yeah we rode cross country and I, actually i did <laughs> on uh, our 68th halcyon uh, commemorating and you'll love this story where we were commemorating the uh first motorci- motorized vehicle to ride across the country it was a motorcycle actually it was a moped <laughs> it was a 200 and, i'm gonna say 225 cc uh pedaled uh california motorcycle uh, built the year previous in 1902. And wow. he rode it across the country and took him like 52, 51, 52 days all the way from San Francisco to New York. And he did it as a stunt. Right. Um, he didn't, he didn't actually make his, his, uh, projected, uh, uh, date, but he, but he got, he did it. And so we, I, I rode like, commemorating that ride with a group of other riders and, uh, Learned all about long-distance riding, and um, yep. then this year, we finally got to a point where we have enough owners <laughs> yeah. that people are starting to rack up miles, really, um, and we have, I don't know what the highest mileage is right now, but I know one of our owners took his bike from, uh, he's been all over the country, and he rode all the way to Dead Horse and back Wow, on, well, a, on a Halcyon, and yeah. he, he's got a picture of him up in Prudhoe Bay, and if you didn't know what the motorcycle was, you couldn't tell because it was covered in mud. <laughs> <laughs> did he did he do any modifications to the suspension or anything to carry weight on the back, or was it was he? He all... didn't do much to the. Well, it's a hardtail. Um, okay. He did end up. He put a, a bunch of stuff. He had extra gas. He had extra tires. He had. I mean, it looked like something from you know uh, uh, round the world uh, adventure, and he did end up. He said he hit a, a this like just incredible pothole and ended up bending the rear axle oh my so god we, ended up, we, we overnighted him or shipped him to the next place an axle that he could he said i find no fault with this bike because it just been a 16 millimeter axle yeah, yeah that's <laughs> and true. That was my fault <laughs> yeah that's it anything that would bend that axle would bend anything i picture anything, him like in, exactly yeah, yeah. i picture so, him um, deploying a hot air balloon yeah. at that point and just flying away coming to get you yeah around right. the world but yeah. anyway we um th- this year we haven't actually started doing it yet but we uh, we have our owners rally every year mm-hmm. uh, this was our third uh, owners rally and unfortunately because of the um, pandemic we did do a virtual one but it did allow us to make it worldwide so we, it was our first worldwide rally 
And we had people from all over the world. We had, I think, three or four, maybe more different countries represented. Um, and uh, we launched this idea of uh, the Mileage Club, which is based on the, you know, English, um, uh, well, all over the world, you know, car clubs would have different awards. You put a little medallion on the front of your, your Rolls Royce hood or your whatever. Um, and we thought, that, wouldn't that be cool to have uh, patches you could put on your jacket or whatever that say, I've made it to, and make it start pretty easy. And then mm-hmm. we'll keep adding them. And I think we've got one guy, I think that guy I was talking about, he went to Alaska. He might be close to 20,000 miles. I know he was yeah. 18 last year so he's probably well past it um but they're 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 putting on the miles you know and, and these are uh they're you know they're lightweight kind of they're not the fastest bikes in the world so they they don't accumulate miles as fast as say a cross-country bike but right. um yeah it's been a really fun pro- uh, project and we're looking forward to starting some local clubs and giving them swag that they get to um kind of you know represent a different area Another one of our uh, things, you know, we're all pretty much tool nerds around here. We're, we're goofy for tools. And I yeah. noticed that you guys do the, the right tools. So, and I, I'm not saying right like the correct tools, but like the right as in like Orville and Wilbur right tools. Uh, so I noticed you guys are, are selling uh, right uh, tools, which are made in America. They are. They're made in, I believe, in Ohio. Yeah, they are. Uh, they are uh, fantastic uh, American tool company and they primarily it's really funny they primarily do like the toolkits for like oil rigs or uh, you know uh, big operations that require the highest quality tool yeah because they're um, so usually they're, they're, they're talking real deal um, yeah they're, they they're a company that has that allow us to use them. so they're a company that is known for having government contracts where the standards of a socket wrench have to literally survive a nuclear war <laughs> affordable probably doesn't play no. into no. it. And the idea yeah. behind right tools is absolutely not affordable. The idea is it's an heirloom tool company. Yes. And the fact that I saw that you were uh, partnered up with them, and I've got a couple of right tools. i got a right tool pl- pair of pliers that I absolutely love, and I've got a couple of combination wrenches that are right tools, and they do feel like they should cost a fortune. Because, yeah, you can tell they're handmade. It's like they're, surgical quality. Yeah, they're really good. So the fact that I noticed that, um, that is just another one of the things that speaks to kind of your, your guys' passion for the motorcycles that you're building. And that's, that's really, really cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, we'd like the bikes to be uh, people, you know, we try and make a product that's going to last a really long time. And, we, you know, our dream is that, you know, there will be people that, you know, we always joke about like, you know, it's a barn find Janus and, you know, 20, 30, whatever. And, you know, the, you know, with a minimal amount of work, it, it can start right back up again. It's all yeah. metal. It can be fixed right. um, and or, or just kept running. And same thing with the tools. You know, the tools that you do use to take care of your bike should be good tools, too. Right. Um, and so, so some people may complain, you know, they're definitely, you know, uh, expense doesn't really or uh, affordability doesn't really factor in that kind of a tool. But, um, you know, it's it's a it's a good investment. So nobody expects a bike to be perfect. Have you suffered? Have you seen any failures on your bikes? I and understanding that no bike is perfect and that bikes will yeah, tend to fail. No, I mean, no. Uh, we had we had a uh, early on with the fifty cc bikes. We had a stress fracture issue um, that we uh, we actually went through the whole uh, recall process. So we oh, had, wow. I, I had to learn how to do it. Um, we filed the the correct paperwork with the. In HTSA, and then we went out, and my Devin went out to the East Coast, Northeast. I went to the Southeast. I went to the West Coast, 
we personally went around and fixed all the bikes. Wow. Um, no, at that point we didn't have a whole lot, but 43 bikes is still a whole lot. That's <laughs> a lot like of a traveling. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> well, that's so commitment that's to that. A lot of that's how how, how, how five and, star uh, service is that? That the owner of the company right. came yeah. out and fi- and did your recall for you. That's right. Well, there weren't very, there were there was it was just the two of us at that point. <laughs> no, stick but, with uh, that. That it was very special that you came <laughs> out and yeah, personally yeah. took care of his issue. But since then, we've had um, you know you'll have a small like uh, you know get a bad batch of parts in, or mm-hmm. you'll realize that certain we had an issue with our batteries where the batteries we were using a gel a lithium uh, battery and it, they just weren't something was wrong with the, the battery. But and that's impressive to, to begin right. with. So finally, we ended up just. Um, moving to a lead acid um, right. traditional battery it was more forgiving um, and that, that was a big ordeal to kind of go through that and struggle with all the service calls people were getting uh, and our goal kind of is like we can't change we can't introduce a new model every year no. so we, we just kind of like gradually tr- every year we're adding improvements um, you know like this year we just went from a mechanical speedometer um, which is beautiful and cool, but uh, they were, you know, vibrating or, you know, it's a single cylinder motorcycle. So they were kind of getting shooken up, shaken up and, and that would be damaged or it just was not working as well as we wanted it to. And so we ended up going with an Austrian uh, a digital speedometer. Oh, beautiful, beautiful instrument that we got to design the speedometer face. Oh, you so did. Like, oh, we, we did all this research. We went, we were, Grant and I were looking at. Uh, Rolls Royce speedometers and airplane speedometer, or you know, you know, all the different dials and gauges that different instruments had, and then we kind of tried to integrate that all into our design with our new logo on it. Uh, That's cool. And they're just they're just like way better and. They're definitely more expensive, but um, we feel like it's, it's you know that's that's one of the few places where uh, such a simple bike where there is a kind of like a readout. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no right. there's no fuel gauge. There's no nothing. And, you know, we don't even have a tachometer. Um, so. You want to make it high quality and something that's going to last. Speaking of fuel, fuel gauge, what kind of mileage does uh, the bike get on one tank of gas? Yeah, so the EPA gave us seventy-seven miles to the gallon, um, which is always a little better than what you you know real world. Um, we our owners will get about average about sixty miles to the gallon, um, and some people get more, some people get less. It's all the riding style, but it's about that sixty miles to the gallon um, range. Okay, cool. And so um, what would you say, one of us wants to jump on the bike, you know, we weigh somewhere between 200 and 270 pounds, and we wanted to go for a cruise. What do you think the safe, practical, normal cruising speed is for the bike to have a real good day? Uh, well, I'll tell you what, I've, what I've done a lot of long distance riding, uh, two saddle sores and a cross country. And what I do is I just open it up and go as fast as it goes. Oh, I'm, really? I'm not, I'm not a small guy. I'm, Six six. Yeah, you're six 200, six. Yeah, two hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah, <laughs> and and I should also mention that they're not cramped because I designed them. No, they're these. big. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've 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 first Janice I sat in. I was like, holy shit! There's a bike I actually fit on. I'm six foot one, and there's no yeah. shortage of space on it. It's got plenty of room. It's it's cut for an American. You want to know where yeah. the rev limiter is? It's the guy sitting on it. Yeah. Because I'm about six two, three hundred pounds. Yeah. So any bike I'm on, if it's in fifth gear or wide open, it's not going. Yeah. It's not going to go past redline with me on it. <laughs> Absolutely true. I mean that's fantastic. Yeah, so you can, you can, you know I think what's comfortable for most people. You know I was doing you're doing a saddle sore one thousand. You're trying to just eat the miles up, um, but comfortable speed. You know I, I would be probably doing sixty sixty five no. as much as I could, um, depending no. on you know, a lighter rider could do seventy on our bikes, um, but you know sixty. 
maybe 50, 50 to 60 miles an hour is a nice kind of speed to just zip along. And most people probably are doing it around that speed. Are you guys messing around? Are you guys messing around anymore at all with the 50 cc's like that water cooled, that liquid cooled 50 you guys used to have? No, we aren't doing anything. We're not manufacturing them in any way. We can't, you know, illegally, EPA. Two stroke. Um, But we, two stroke, uh, 50 cc, water cooled, case inducted, um, just incredible little motor. Um, That thing would do 55 out of the, like, stock. Yeah, we did have an expansion chamber on that stock. That uh, little that little fifty cc uh, that little liquid cooled fifty cc motor that you guys were using is an absolute ripper. Um, it's amazing, and that's the thing is like nobody kind of that that is a, a dark horse little motor, but that thing's twelve, thirteen, fourteen thousand RPM is just like just getting started. So yep. <laughs> such a kooky little motor, and that's one of those. That's that high water mark for like moped nerds is yep. just that little liquid cooled motor. And I was when you guys kind of first rolled out that Halcyon 50, uh, that Halcyon 50 Deluxe, everyone's like, oh, yeah, man, I'm not going to touch it, though, because it's a 50 cc. I'm like, uh, I've ridden the Honda Dream 50s where it was a 10 speed transmission and a Honda built, you know, dual overhead cam 50 cc motor that would run 55 miles an hour with my fat ass on it. And yeah. So a well-tuned 50 is always fun. I mean, it's always a joy. But I was like, but the production cost on those is so high because if one yep. little thing isn't right, it's just going to destroy itself. Yep, yep. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're beautiful and, and very reliable, but yeah. they are, it's a little two-stroke, you know. Yeah, yeah. and they're not <laughs> and cheap. They, uh, and you're, it's not like when people are like, oh, it's 49 cc's, it's got to be cheap. I'm like, no, it's not cheap. That motor is an expensive little motor. Yeah, that was made by Derby. Yep. Um, Derby of probably, I mean, you could argue one of the most um, oh yeah uh, famous two-stroke manufacturers in the world, uh, along with um, uh, what was it? Derby, Minarelli. You had yeah, the Minarellis. The Minarellis were great. Really the Derby's well-known ones. Fantastic. So super cool. I mean, we just kind of dig that. I mean, when I was doing the Lake Erie Loop, we would do, do a 650 mile ride around Lake Erie, and one of the guys was riding a, a Derby, yeah. the sport bike. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know what the designation was, but it was the 50, and he had a yeah. seven, he put a 70 cc kit on it, right. and that thing screamed. Yeah, I mean he had no that's, that's problem. That's the same motor. That's same the same motor, motor that was in our bike, yeah. right? Yeah, same motor. Yeah. And so now, are you guys? I like the idea, and now I know this is going to sound weird because I'm a motorcycle dealership, but I hate the dealer model, and so I actually like direct to consumer. Um, okay. I I love direct to consumer. I I think that. The only thing a motorcycle dealership should be is literally a fulfillment center where you have authorized this fulfillment center to prep your bikes for you and represent them mechanically at a distance because the dealer model is an archaic thing that I think is broken and needs to be gotten rid of. Because well, it's funny you say that because we were just talking about essentially that same model uh, today. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm sure it's having like the, them be a kind of representative right. that fulfills the customer's order. Yeah. yeah. In my idea of a perfect society, we would have, I would have a building and it'd be a 10,000 square foot building. And in that building, I would essentially be leasing space to Triumph to have their bike theirs and Moto Guzzi to have their bikes there. And all the different brands would lease space in my building to have their bikes there. And then they would pay <clears throat> to train my staff to represent their bikes correctly. And then we would get this perfect experience where the customer that comes in, if they want to talk about a Moto Guzzi or a Triumph or a Janus or whatever, 
they're going to get the best possible representation. And it would be on Janice to make their 800 square feet look like what they wanted it to look like. And it would be yep. on Triumph to make their eight, you know, 1,200 square feet look like what they wanted it to look like. And basically, the manufacturers would be saying, okay, we're going to be leasing this space and leasing these representatives so that we don't have to have a dealer network, which can be maddening. I mean, a dealer yeah. network is really a difficult thing to work with. Yeah, and, and it's just expensive. It's very yes, expensive. It is. And, and a lot of these little companies, I think, you know, the motorcycle world is so much smaller than the, 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 the automobile. And it, uh, so much of it runs on a shoestring budget. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, really we, if we said at our dealership, if I was like, you know, I love the product. I think it's great. I think I really can make something happen with Janus. I'm going to bet you I could sell five bikes a year. And you're like, oh, my God, I cannot go through the expense of getting this dealer registered in this state and setting them up and maintaining them to sell five units when I would sell yep. those exact same five bikes using my website. Um, mm -hmm. The dealer gives me nothing, but he, the, meanwhile, the dealer has to be given a margin. The dealer has to be supported and you give up, you relinquish so much of your control of the quality of the experience when you add a dealer to the situation. Yep. So I yep. totally respect your position. And I think that like Tesla and like a lot of other things um, in your case, which is a cottage, or bespoke motorcycle company, I do think keeping it, um, I tell my friends all the time, stay small, keep it all. And mm -hmm. that's, I think is best for your product. I really do, I, you know, if somebody came in and said, can I get you a Janus? I would just immediately give them your website. <laughs> so yeah, there's a guy who's really good. Yeah, there's a guy who's really good at getting you a Janus. He's the guy who, he's the guy who created it. So yeah, uh, he's good. So I have a question. How many motorcycles did you sell in 2019? Uh, we sold just about 200. Yeah. 200 bikes. So yeah. still really small, but, but um, if you think about, you know, we probably only sold a little, I don't actually know what that number, 500 or something at this point. Right. Uh, most of that's been in the last two and a half, three years. Um, it's, uh, and so when, when you sell 200 bikes, that's 200 more bikes out in the world that you're, at that point we were essentially like, you know, almost doubling our number of bikes. Absolutely. And uh, it's, it's just incredible. Every, every time you do that, more people see them, more people Absolutely. kind of become aware of the brand. Also, you get more, you know, maintenance and service questions, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. So do you guys have anything on the cookbook? Are you like, are you drawing something up? You got something coming in the next year or two? Like what's, what's the insider sneaky tip? The sneaky tip, the sneaky tip right now is just that like we we're really trying to increase production. That's our mm -hmm. our our main goal. Which you know if you do if you don't do a whole lot of these, it, it it really if we don't we're not producing five six seven bikes a week, um, selling, building, invoicing, you know you know painting all the different processes going through. And, you know everything kind of slows down real quick. Right. Um, so our goal is going to be really smoothing that our lead times out are uh, getting more bikes out there faster. And, um, and, uh, it's a real challenge scaling up. I mean, we went from five to six bikes a week in June. Wow. And 20% increase. That's, that, that's incredible. That's just, it's, in, it's, it's re it was a long time coming Yeah, but we had to, you have to do every, everything has to start. Like we kind of started in like December saying, okay, purchasing has to start increasing. Right. And, you know, we have to start working with our vendors so that they can make sure that they can keep up with us. And we're still struggling with that. Like, 
But know, it's kind of just one bike some a week. People now, and it's it's a it's a real balancing act. But it's really hard, and so that's yeah. kind of like our main focus is just going to be, um, at least for the time being, uh, strengthening our ability to deliver more bikes that are up to our quality standards. Right. Hey, Richard, this is uh, Chris Smith. I just wanted to uh, two yeah. two things. I was able to see uh, recently a, a Halcyon in Wheeling, West Virginia. So I don't know if you knew you had one down there. <laughs> but uh, there he was screaming down uh, 88, uh, Route 88 North. So uh, I was very happy to see that, uh, one of your uh, cream-colored bikes. That's wonderful. Wonderful to hear. Yeah, West so- Virginia was one of the last states we didn't have. <laughs> There you go. And then and then the second thing is, uh, Richard, I've been trying to talk Grant into letting us bring one of your bikes over for the DGR this year if it happens. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a great idea. And I, I will tell you guys, I will give you guys the scoop or I'll give you the skinny on the DGR. So the DGR this year, uh, according to DGR powers that be in Australia, um, is going to be a choose your own adventure kind of thing. Uh, we're not going to have the mass gatherings that the DGR is so well known for. And yeah. what they're, they're recommending to us is they're saying, yeah, go ahead and, you know, we can establish a route like we have done in the past, but we're going to eliminate the giant gathering, the breakfast, you know, the, the, right. three, the three martini breakfast or the three Bloody Mary breakfast is going to go away. And it's going to be more of a, this is the route. We're still doing it. They're still encouraging people to get their sponsors and get their people to make their donations for him. But it's still going to be dress up. It's still going to be the same event. And the date is going to be the same. But what they're going to do is they're going to try to eliminate that massive gathering pre and the massive gathering post. But I think there will still be kind of a, hey, guys, this is where the route's going, and there'll be random gathering spots along the way. Well, that's, and it does work because me and Dan did that um, the, the long one ride two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And so they had a meeting point in the morning, right. but they had people there making sure people social distanced and right. did their things. And like, if you went inside to get a coffee, you had to wear a mask and all that. Yep. And every, it was great. I never felt like anybody was on my breathing on me or anything. And then once you're on your bikes, you kind of divide up into a couple different groups. But you're on your bikes, you're separated, you're riding. That's exactly. It was it. a great day. Even though we weren't shaking hands and high-fiving, we were still riding and having a great day. And it's so. going to be the same. It's yeah. the Sunday, the 27th of September, the way it traditionally is. You can go to gentlemansride.com to get registered, get yourself signed up. Um, it is. We're still going to happen. It's still going to do it. We're, it's going to be the same thing it is. It's just going to look different this year. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a question for you. So in March... I know Indiana and Michigan and Ohio and all of our states. In March and April, we thought we were going to be locked down and closed. And what happened instead is people got stimulus checks and went out and bought jet skis and boats and campers and motorcycles and bicycles and kayaks. And all of the places that sell those things ran out of them. The demand was much higher than the supply. And on top of that, a lot of the countries and a lot of the states that make the things that we put into these motorcycles were on absolute lockdown at these factories. So the factory in China that might make, you know, a part for this or that, that factory was closed for 60 some days. Now we got this perfect storm. We have demand like we've never seen before, but we have a massive problem with our supply chain. If you are missing one motorcycle or one part, if you're missing a crankshaft, you build zero motorcycles because you can't build one motorcycle without a crankshaft. And we've seen that with our problem where we've got probably right now 18 to 20 people who have paid for bikes and are waiting for them. And 
yeah, we're it's like 2008 all over again when the gas was five dollars a gallon. People were waiting six weeks to get a 125 cc bike. Um, mm. I'm sure you're experiencing that too, right? Oh, absolutely. It's um, it's it's crazy. We're selling bikes like like uh, like no tomorrow. Um, we are, you know, and then on top of that, you have the fact that we were shut down. Right. Um, we were we were shut down for six weeks, and so our lead time went from where we like it, which is four to six weeks, to 12 to 15. Wow. Um, and it was, um, it, it's, we're actually, because we're, that's one of the reasons we you know scaling up happened right at the right times. Mm-hmm. We're actually down now to, I think at, right at this point we're like eight to 10. Um, mm-hmm. so double what we usually are, but quite a bit less than we were. Um, and that, that really makes a big difference because, um, people are buying now. We want to be able to sell to them. Right. Um, everybody wants to get out on the road and take, you know, be able to be, out in the world um, in their RV or their motorcycle or their, their jet ski or whatever, but not in uh, close proximity to anybody else. So we are so we are totally experiencing that. Luckily, we have a really robust purchasing um, department that okay. um, got, we had some buffer zone. And so we, we have had some, like, basically, you know, we're going to build these out without, you know, rear wheels or whatever the part was, and, and, then, and then try and crank out, you know, the add that one part at the end. Um, but that's just not efficient. You know, that's, that's a, that's a last chance kind of a, or a last resort uh, move in manufacturing, but sometimes you got to do it. So we, that's definitely been, I know it's affected us and I know it's affected many other people even worse, um, especially some of our vendors, which then affects us on, in turn. So, so it's crazy. It's a crazy year. It is a crazy year. It's nothing. We're not going to be able to compare anything to this year for a very long time. And it's yeah. not even close to being over yet. Uh, so nope. other, other question, Richard, on a purely selfish note, how did you like Baja when you guys did Baja on your, uh, on the Griffin? Oh, well, I can't speak to that because I didn't get to go on that. You trip, didn't. I, but, so that was, uh, 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 Devin and Devin and Jordan, went Devin and Jordan did that blast. Yeah. Okay. That's just one of those things. If I could do anything for any of my friends, I would like to transport them to Tecate or transport <laughs> them to San Diego and just go on a week long or two week long. Because, you know, the Baja Peninsula is exactly what you make of it. It can either be riding fast and being terrified or going slow and eating like a king. And, uh, and, and plus, I'll you take know, the latter. Yeah. And you're like, OK, well, that looks like a good place to swim. You know, it's 3,000, 4,000 miles of good places to swim. You know, it's the whole peninsula. It's surrounded by We were by really good lucky on that trip because we had uh, Joe Burke um, from, uh, what is it, Exhaust Notes. Yeah, uh, Exhaust Notes. He's a West yeah. Coast um, old uh, uh fellow he writes about guns motorcycles uh and other cool things and he's, he does a, he and he's a baja like there. he's a baja dude he's a baja original and so he'll tell you the best places to eat he'll tell you the good bars to go to and so he, we, we got the, the the special treatment yeah we got all the ends super cool so i mean that's one of those things too for us we just we just love that well uh i gotta say thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us yeah, absolutely. It's been a really pleasure, good talking, uh, to you. talking with y'all. Yeah, and it's because you know we were kind of looking forward to seeing you at Mid Ohio, but that that didn't happen. Oh man, I missed so that. We all yeah, do. Looking forward to being there too. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably saved 15 pounds around my waist and a quarter of my liver. Yeah, by not going to Mid Ohio <laughs> and, and a serious injury. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. and a really serious injury. I usually come back with at least one scar. <laughs> yeah, one scar. Yeah, a year. and, I, and I, you know what? My kickstarting leg hurts for like three months. Yeah. <laughs> 
Steve, not all of us wreck eight times in one day. I'm right. sorry. Yeah, yeah, that is you do. You did kind of set the bar pretty high for crashes in in you know a quarter mile. Well, you also set the bar in setting yourself on fire every year. We so, do. Yeah, yes. we right. do try that's to make sure there's always fire. Yeah. So that's yeah. good. I'm very interested to hear about how this uh, Janus rally goes. I mean, are there burnout pits? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have slow races. Slow oh, races. okay. Yeah. I love school. a good slow race. We do. It's vicious. It's vicious. Any it's, fire? It's vicious. You need yeah. fire though. Is there any fire? We need fire. Oh, uh, we. We haven't yet, but yeah, it's a, a little bit of fire makes things a little more exciting. Maybe we'll have to come next year after Chris gets his Janice. But you should. <laughs> and that's true. Um, so just for, for folks that, you know, just to bring you, bring it around to circle back, with Janice, uh, JaniceMotorcycles.com, you can actually go on there. So our podcast listeners, go to that website right now, and you'll understand the way that they'll let you build your own motorcycle. You can choose your own colors. Then you can choose your own upgrades, your own accessory packages. And it is a very fun way to kind of see the way you would lay a bike out for yourself. That's that's literally that first dose is free, right? So that's that kind of like, ooh, I can personally build my own bike and have something that is what I want it to be by click by through a series of clicks on the internet. And I, I think that everyone should do that if you're interested in the idea of having a motorcycle, an arrow in your quiver that's not like everything else you see on the street. Well, I mean, you know, they're talking building 200 a year. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have a already, I mean, 500 total. So you're already going to have a yeah. one out of 500 motorcycle to begin with. The it's a collector bike yeah. the day you buy it. Yeah, the exclusivity of it is super cool. But more importantly, you know, you're going to meet people. People are going to ask you about it. It's going to be a very, very interesting bike uh, for people to ask you about. It's well, going to be and, something that... And here's the thing. So now now hearing you speak and and, and being here... We know that you guys know a lot about motorcycles. Like you, you put your heart and soul into this and do things. We have a couple, well, a company around that doesn't need a name mentioned or anything, but they don't. They're not that at all. Well, they they sell smaller bikes, and they are not. They are the opposite of what you guys are. And it's refreshing to hear that a smaller bike company is actually that involved with their product. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, and I like that. And if I were to if I were to set one of these up, yeah, I'd be the guy that would be like, yeah, how much leather can we put on there? You know, <laughs> if you want to think like death by brown seat. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be. I'm gonna. You can send me all day long because I'm gonna be. But also, hey, kudos because like with with the seats and everything. Obviously, as you've seen on Craigslist and everybody else has seen. You know, most guys get cafe racers wrong mm -hmm. or brown seats or small yeah, seats wrong. Right. You guys didn't. They look good. They look, like, great. they look like they're supposed to be on the bike, not just cut down and horrible. Uh, yeah. I want to see the Janus that goes to the Amish chrome plater where it, <laughs> where it is an all chrome Janus. Oh, every boy. single thing, <laughs> oh, boy. the frame, oh, boy. every piece of the bike is man. all chrome. No, that's way too vulgar, man. That's just, that's, that's, the Amish don't do vulgar. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know about that. Okay, if you say so. <laughs> yeah, I give me a nice cream-colored one yeah. with a nice British racing green inset on the gas tank. Uh, that's that's the way I'd be. Hey, I'd Richard, like Richard, Chris Smith, do you have any questions for us about the podcast or what we're doing on this side? Oh, I, get, I don't. Not off the top of my head. It's just been fun talking with y'all, and uh, uh, it's fun. You know, it sounds like y'all are definitely. Uh, fans of small bikes so um we, are. we really appreciate Absolutely. you all featuring us again and then and, uh, it really it's been a bit of pleasure great we'll make sure you get a link chris can you send them some links to the yep. podcast when they're done sure, ready sure. yeah all right all right ride fast and take chances richard thank you thanks buddy thank you so much goodbye good See talking ya. to you take thanks care. man do a mini bump bump yeah, a little, bump, like a little bump, out for richard a little yeah. out for richard richard's own out now i i hit up 
grumpy yeah. sewer guy. Yeah, you did. And I said we have all the utensils to get him on, but I think right. he's already like 17 beers in his night because oh, no, he hasn't really. responded. Yeah, he's on vacation, so you can only imagine what that means. I can't even. No. He's going to be in a constant state of wobbly. He's just going to be wobbly, wobbly, wobbly. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was pretty cool, man. It like, was very cool. And, and this is a guy that, like I said, we've, we've po- poked fun at Jay Anus for a long time. And well, to, it's just because like, you, know, you take yeah. the Jay off and you're left with Anus. Well, and again, <laughs> you know what the one thing we didn't ask him was? What? What's the name? Justify the name. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we, and that's a, I'm sure he gets that question right. all the damn time. And I'm sure it's out there. Yeah. It's the Roman. It's a Roman, of, yeah. Uh, right. But at the end of the motorcycles? day. Travel. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's really cool to find out that the guys are versed in their bikes. Like yeah. they really, he's the designer, so he has the passion and he put it into it. And he really, he has the background and knowledge. It wasn't just something that they drew on a napkin and said, "Yeah, let's make this." Well, you know? I like it. You know, let's concede that the motor is from China, right? But right. It sounds like a lot of the rest of the bike is made right out there in Indiana. Yeah. Well, I would like to tell you that he's a gentleman because we we pronounced it wrong fifteen times. And he didn't say anything. So it is Janus. Janus. Uh, yeah. So it's not it, Janus. Check, look up graphic training aids. Uh, so graphic training aids, uh, Janus, Roman mythology, in ancient Roman religion and myth, Janus, uh, Latin, Lanus. Janus, uh, yes. Yep. Is the god of beginnings, gates, transitions, time, duality, doorways, passages, frames, and endings. He is usually depicted as having two faces since he looks to the future and to the past. Mm. And I think that's a good way to describe the company is they look to the future and to the past. I like that, that, totally I like that makes coin. Sense. Like that, that coin with the two faces, mm-hmm. like that well, should be a medallion on the top of the tank there or you something go. like that. And their logo is two J's, one to the forward, one, one to, to the, the back. back. Yeah. So the two together... Sh- uh, for yeah. a motorcycle. Or That's true. For a motorcycle. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. That was Very cool. cool. <clears throat> yeah, that's neat. So you got to love that. Nothing wrong with that. Thank you, Chris Smith, for setting that up. We yeah. do appreciate that. That that was super I cool. I know Chris had that kind of pool. I know, oh, right? That to get like to get the the leader of a company, a motorcycle company. Are we doing it again? Yep. Do yeah. we got uh, your joke book, Chris? You know, you know, you know. What Chris did uh, to get that set up. What did he do? I placed a call. One hey. phone call. That's hey, it. you guys want to be on a podcast? It's okay. Sounds so, great. We'll do it. It was about three weeks ago, but yeah. Yeah, um, well, and that's, I mean, that's, he's a real good guy because, one, he's in the Midwest, and he's a great guy because he started something based on a dream. He started something based on, I want to do this. And you got to love that just because instead of going out and saying, okay, I'm going to grab, you know, that Chinese product that I'm pointing at, and I'm going to put my brand on it. I'm going to do some badge engineering. Yep. And I'm going to call it the, the Monkey Dick 150. And now, now I'm in charge of the Monkey Dick 150 world, right? Right, right. He didn't do that. Nope. No. That's kind of what I was saying when I was saying, yeah. what I, you know, it might well, be we a Chinese know. motor, but right. he built a lot of, they're building a lot of that bike here. Oh, right. yeah. They didn't design the bike and send the copy over there right. and have the bike come in here already. I just like the fact that they were like, I originally wanted this to be a two stroke because that's just cool already. Like, once his original platform the- was kind of a bike kit. Yeah. So you know that you'd get, you'd get a motor and you'd get a frame and you'd oh, get yeah. all the things and you'd put it together and so it was self-assembled. Right. So he doesn't have any of the burden of title or DOT or six an HTSA. different packages. You could exactly. ship it che- cheaper. Yeah. And so that idea is just like, well, then none of the responsibility for lawsuits and shit falls on right, him. Right. 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 Because you guys got to keep in mind. I know sometimes we get too deep into the inside baseball shit here, <laughs> but if you're a motorcycle manufacturer and Timmy falls off your bike. Because oh your foot peg broke? Karen's giving you a call. 
you're going to get a call from Karen's attorney and the line of attorneys behind her. And it, it even extends to accessories to the point that some of the seat manufacturers have had people sue them because they said that they fell off the bike because of the seat. I'm going to tell you that there's a reason when you open the fucking helmet storage area on a Vespa scooter, there's a sticker that says no pets. <laughs> All right. And that sticker is not in the English bikes. It's not in the Italian bikes. It's not in the Chinese bikes, the Thai bikes, the Indian bikes. They don't have that. But the American bikes get a sticker that says no pets. Because of Karen's. And that means somebody said, oh, Fluffy can sit in here on the ride home. Right. And then, oh, well, there's a waterproof, quote, airproof gasket in there. that holds heated by the motor. And it's heated by the motor. So they had stew, fluffy stew when they got home. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Not good. Not good at all. So you had a very hot, very unoxygenated poodle or whatever the fuck it was. It's not good. And that got... Pitching frizzy. Right. Well, you know what that got is that got a lawyer involved. Oh, yeah. And then a lawyer went after Piaggio at some point and said, you didn't tell us not to put animals in there. Right. That's where I store all my livestock. Well, you know, that's the country we live in. And if you're not willing to accept that kind of shit as a manufacturer... You need to get out of the pool. I'm surprised I didn't figure that out in Southeast Asia, though. You know what I mean? Like, it was ready to eat at that point. Yeah, like, They're like, we've oh. been doing this for years. Okay. Yeah. Roadkill just becomes stew. Put the put right. the weak one underneath the seat, and that's the one we'll have for dinner when exactly. we get home. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, Louise. So that's a that's it. So I wanted to talk to you guys about what on earth is that motorcycle? What is that motorcycle behind us? So that motorcycle behind us is the Benelli truck. 502. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not the truck. It's called the TRK. So there's the Benelli TRK 502. Yes. And I've been waiting for this fucker. One for of like my buddies years. said he really was like excited about Camaro for one of these. Right. Yeah. Well, that's me. And I and yeah. And it's and this is a thing. I mean, we're gonna talk about the text and the specs and all that good stuff. Ignore the rideaway price because the rideaway price that you see there is in Australian dollars. Yeah, it's like okay? six, right? Or five. Um, we're or gonna six. talk about right. that. Okay, so yeah, let's uh, let's just get the let's get the elephant in the room the fuck out of the well, room. Let's let's talk about this real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Just before you start, yeah. so I saw this bike three years ago and I was like, hmm, mm-hmm. I like this. This right. is what I want, but I don't know the quality and reliability Correct. of this brand. Yeah, we're not. But now with. I own the one thirty five and I have a thousand plus miles on it and it's amazing. So now it's like, okay, they make really quality bikes. Like it's, I mean. For the money that I paid for the 135 compared to the Grom or something, you're getting such a better bike, better forks, better motor, five speeds. Right. Everything about it's great. So I can't imagine that they fucked this up too bad for the amount of money that I mean, charging. just the picture alone, it looks beautiful. Yep, and it's 500 cc or five, whatever it is, but it's light. Like, my Super Tenere weighs, like, what, with all this shit on it, like 700 pounds. Well, anything's light compared to that, probably. Yeah, well, yeah. not anything. Harley, you know, yeah, but, yeah, Harley. But, I mean, you know, it's a big bike. This seems like you'd be able to ride it, throw it around, have a good time on it, and, and whatever. What was the weight on that? I think it's under five. Four, I think it's yeah, like under, just under five. four ninety or something yeah. around there. I think that's what Phil's got a spec sheet. I got there. some specs oh, for us. Phil's pulling I got up. some good. I got some good intel because we all like good intel around. All right, so Phil's walking around getting yeah. his intel ready. Going to drop it. But anyway, I mean, I can see why this bike is attractive to you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it looks like a really nice bike. You already own a Benelli. Yeah, I mean and that's a, you've that's, definitely been a you know an avid adventure motorcyclist. Tried you to have be. the Tenere, you had the Husqvarna, or right, mm-hmm. not, that yeah. was Husky, yeah. Yep. So you know it fits right into your wheelhouse. It does, but it 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 I think it hits a few more notes because it's like the middleweight, middleweight adventure bike. But at the same time, for us here, how much adventuring can we actually do? 
And it seems like it's very roadworthy as well. Oh, that's important in this area. But it also hits you in the uh, upper 40s going on 50 uh, area where your pocketbook is tight and you well, that's <laughs> you, what say. So you're like, not interested in spending $10,000. And, and that's the thing. If this something. thing is as good as it should be, I can sell my Tenray used, have enough money to buy this new and probably still take the wife out for a nice weekend. I don't okay, know so about we're gonna, that. It'd so be hard to give up do. the Tenray, though. Oh, I don't want to, but I'm just saying I could. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So right now for the American market, we don't have all of the models available. No. Okay, not all of them, but we do have three. So the first one we're going to talk about is what they call um, the Leoncino. Leoncino is behind you right now. So the Leoncino is a standard, right, or a sports standard, I guess we would call it that. Okay. And this is... that's a, that's in competition with the Vitzmillion or whatever. What is the yeah Smart Pillion? Smart Pillion, yeah. yeah. The the Vert Pillion, yeah. The Borgdi Vert Pillion and Borgdi Vert Pillion. So that's the that's their first bike that we're going to talk about tonight. It's back almost. It almost looks a little bit like the new. Uh, what is Ascot. it? The, no, no, the Honda Rebel. But this is a good-looking version of that. Like <laughs> the Honda Rebel looks ugly. This is actually like oh okay. Well, you the Honda look- Rebel chopped the gas tank you see in a what I'm vertical saying? line where that has that black embellishment on the side. Yeah. The Honda Rebel just went straight all the way to the top of the triple clamps. Yes. Yeah. This looks much better. Right. And it does. And so this motorcycle will be available in the United States market in your choice of either black or red. Okay. Any color you want as long as, as it's, long black, as it's or red. black or red. Okay. Um, now, we're just going to scroll through some of the highlight images just so you can kind of see there and our podcast listeners can see it. Um, we're not going to worry too much about the dimensions because the dimensions are what you think they are. Um, it's a 500, right? It's a two-cylinder, obviously. It's eight-valve motor, which is nice. Um, it's near as I can tell, 50 horsepowers and 44 torques. Wait, you know? say that again. It is a twin? Yes, yeah, twin. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's twin. It was eight valves. Yeah, so it's a twin. It's eight valves. Uh, Liquid cooled, obviously. It's a wet clutch. Um, it is a wet sump. It's a six-speed transmission. It is fuel injected, obviously. I guess I shouldn't have to say obviously. It has a very sporting 11.5 to 1 compression ratio. That's pretty uh, high. That's pretty hot. So I got to give them credit for that. That's going to go That's good. on the verge of high octane fuel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. So it is on the verge of high octane fuel. Um, very, very cool looking bike. Um, it is a very standard looking bike. In fact, when I'm looking at this bike, images of Yamaha Seikas are dancing through my head, right? The shape of the gas tank, maybe. Uh, there's some of that hiding in there. Uh, it looks fine. I but mean, distinctive. I mean, it's not like right. any other. I mean, I can't think of. I mean, like I said, it looked a little bit to me kind of like the stylings of the Rebel, but way, but it's still way different. I mean, like. Eh. So what? What does it weigh? Because 490 seems high to me. My my BMW is 490 pounds. Okay, let's uh, let's go ahead and see exactly what they say it weighs. And somebody may have to be standing by with a thumb powered device to give us the. Um, to give us the translation from uh, science units to uh, non-science units. I've lost my thumb. So we'll see what the weight is. Uh, let's see here. I'm looking, guys. I'm looking. Going to try to find the weight. Don't see it yet. I'm not seeing the weight just yet. Seeing the height, seeing the length, seeing the wheel, the wheel bases. Yeah, let me go into some technical stuff here. Let's see if we can get... No, same thing. Steve, can you look up the, the, weight the weight of yep. the actual weight of this bike? Yeah. And maybe the horsepowers and stuff like that, get the specs on it. Yeah. It's not under yeah. chest. 
I know at one point I was kind of giving Steve a hard time because I, if you compared the numbers on this bike to an FT500 Ascot, right. Ascot yeah. has it beat by a little bit. Well, but and there's going to be some too, more too, yeah. The asshole Scott does not have fuel injection. Right. And a number of other things that yeah. this bike certainly does have. And this is, and that's a big thing. And, you know, this has got ABS. It's got dual channel ABS straight from the factory. Um, Which one is this? This is the Leoncino. Yeah, okay. The Leoncino. Uh, I can guarantee you, if we, you know, this bike will probably clean The curb it. weight is 207 kilograms. So that's wet. Battery and gas, so somebody figure out 207 uh, kilograms versus funds. 455.4 pounds. So 455.4 pounds soaking wet. Um, it does appear to have about a 3.5-gallon gas tank, so it's a 12.7 litres, so maybe four, actually, four gallons. Uh, so, yeah, that's what that is. And so that is the version we're getting in America. Uh, this one right up. Cha. And one thing that I do want to call out, uh, so, you know, this bike is shipping to dealers right now. We're, we're able to put this order in immediately. That was going to be my question. You yeah. said, we, you know, these three models are available in America, but how many can, can you get them? I can order them right now. Okay. It's easy for you to say. Easy for you to say. So, by the way, Chris brought in some fantastic meats. We love having Chris's meat in our mouth. <laughs> this is the Alouette sausage. Did you make this yourself, or is this through the club? Club. Okay. Uh, very tasty. Is this a pork? Yeah, pork based on dewey. It's a little bit on the dry side, but I think that's just because there's so many seasonings and spices in it. Very delicious. Goes good with a cheap beer. But um, thank you, Chris Smith. And, and there's some to take home if you'd like. Now, what else did you bring? You said something about deer burgers? Deer burgers. So we made some deer sausage, and then I uh, smashed them into burgers. And uh, Oh, so it's a deer sausage burger. Yeah. Because a regular think... deer burger would kind of be kind of like, it's deer is such a lean meat. Like, if you just made a deer burger, you can throw it in a pan. It doesn't even fry itself in its own fat. Wow. So I'm glad that you made it. Did you add fat when you were making the deer burger? We did. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Did you bring My me dad a always bit. carrot or anything? Or? Yeah. <laughs> the deer ate the carrots. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and they were delicious. Yeah, it's the number two on the tropic level. So anyway. Yeah. yeah. But, oh, the deer burger is delicious. Wow, that's good. That's excellent. You should definitely get some of the, Chris's deer meat in your mouth. Yeah. Big round of applause for Chris Smith. Mm -hmm. And his meat. Yay, Same. meat. That deer meat, that deer burger is... So like you deer. were saying, Phil... Sorry, I got a mouthful of deer. Anyway, like he was saying, he has a mouthful of deer. Mm -hmm. My dad used to make deer burgers. Now, his recipe was crazy. He would start, you know, with deer meat, and we always had some beef fat put into it. And, and then, then a he would... hitchhiker? No, oh, okay. his <laughs> secret recipe, for whatever reason, I don't know what... Was frosted flakes. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he would take the meat and he would take like wow. as a binder? he would he would make it more like he put add an egg. He'd make it almost more like a meatloaf. Wow! And he put frosted flakes in it with yep. the sugar and everything. With the sugar and everything. Yep. And then he would add bar so he'd fry them in a pan with onions and then add barbecue sauce to them. So Damn. they were like sweet barbecued oh, frosted man. flake fucking deer burgers. Wow! How good at, was that? At the time, they were fucking. They were sure, like, it was fantastic. I thought it was very tasty, but, you know, but, you know, we were one of those families. We had, a you know, three boys, freezer full of deer. Mm -hmm. So if you were eating spaghetti, guess what that meat was? It was deer meat, yeah. Deer burger. We had the same thing. When we used to do a lot of hunting, all of our meat, we had two, you know, we had the deep freeze and then we had the upright. And so that was our job was to fill that. So every hunting season, we'd have to go out and fill the deep freeze and the upright. 
And then no matter what we ate, it was deer and something else. Yeah, we got the tags. Dad filled them. That's the pretty much. Yeah, yeah. That was. We'd be sitting there and be like, "Well, you hear bang, bang, bang." Yeah. And you're like, "Oh, did you get anything?" No. Come on over here, though, real quick. Right. Yeah, I didn't get anything, but get your ass over here real quick. Yeah. <laughs> you go over there. Okay, there's one there. Yeah. There's one that went over the fence. Get it over on this side of the fence right. because that went over there on right. you know, posted property. That's tactical hunting, strategic yeah. hunting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know. We'll sell you the tag. How you use it. And then go home and then, oh, I love the dinner. After you spent all day cutting up five deer, yep. and you've been up to your elbows in fucking in deer. deer. Yep. Oh. Guess what's for dinner? Deer. 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 Yeah, the last oh, thing you want to eat. last thing you want to eat. Yep. So the Benelli Leoncino, okay, we're going to play the Price is Right game. If you've cheated and you've looked at my notes already, um, you're not going to be allowed to play. So this Leoncino from Benelli... Um, it does have a price. It is not $9,390. Well, c- going from what you're selling the 302 for, mm-hmm. I would say 49 48 So the price on the Leoncino is $61.99. Okay. So extra, extra CCs, extra money. Yep. That's still a decent price for the bike. $61.99. So I just thought for fun, you can't compare anything in the world uh, unless you compare it to a Honda, right? Sure. So I'm going to say that I feel like I feel like the Honda um, CB500X is probably a decent analog. Uh, that's the current. That's the current Honda, right? Well, yeah, they have the 500 500X. The yeah, it's like. It's not an adventure bike, but people like... like um, It's kind of the everything, right? Well, Rally Raid makes kits for them to make them amazingly good adventure bikes. But stock, they're kind of like a... They're like an NC700X that has a high rev limit. Okay, yeah. But they're decent bikes. People love them. And yeah. The thing, though, unfortunately, though, I think they sell cheaper. I think, like, you can find them for four grand with 200 miles on them. You well, we're not talking... I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll do like for like, so we'll do new for new, right? So we'll do new for new. And if we do the... The Honda New, we'll go and pull that up in a comparing screen. Uh, the Honda New for New is uh, sixty six ninety nine. So okay. So the Honda brand new MSRP in the United States market uh, is sixty six ninety nine, and so that's you know five hundred more than the uh, than the Leoncino. And it kind of looks like I mean like it could be kind of fit into the Rebel five hundred as well. Sure. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Let me find out how much those are. Huh? Yeah, and that's probably that's probably a good thing because it could be the same buyer looking at both bikes. Um, I feel that the Leoncino, being that it's a taller bike, it's not really set up for small riders. Uh, you might find that the buyer for a Leoncino would probably somebody's probably more of an experienced rider, less of an entry level, less of a first timer, maybe. But you know what? Huh. It's right in the pocket. So the 2020 Honda Rebel 500 is 6100 non ABS and 6400 ABS. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So they're right in the pocket with the Rebel. <coughs> mm-hmm. Okay. But Fair it's enough. sexier. The Rebel's not. Yeah, good the Rebel's. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And the uh, so this uh, the CB500X. We talked about some of the specs of the other bike. Um, this is you know the same kind of a thing. It's. Uh, and it is the same motor, by the way. It's the same motor in the CB500X as the Rebel. Mm-hmm. So that's good to know. Yep. The uh, the Leoncino. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed the Honda portion of this, but okay. 
Yeah. So the Honda is sixty six ninety nine. Okay. The Leoncino is sixty one ninety nine. Okay. So well, the non ABS Rebel is sixty one as well. Right. Yeah. But we can't compare that because oh, because this has ABS. This has, oh, Leoncino I'm sorry. has ABS. Okay, I'm sorry. Sorry. So the AB, so you know, apples to apples. We'll stick with apples. All right, we can. We got to remember to change that mic cord. Yeah. How do you like that? It's definitely apples? the cord. It's definitely the cord. Yeah. Well, I have an extra cord here. What was yeah, this well, all about? Why do we're we... not going to do it this moment? But it's definitely the cord. All right, we're yep. back in. Yep. Okay, yep. excellent. So there we are. Uh, so really, when I'm looking at it and I'm seeing, okay, we've got an eight valve motor from Honda, virtually the same displacement, about the same. Six speed, also just the same. Chain drive, just the same. Everything else looks just the fucking same. I mean, it really does. And it says claimed wet weight as 430 pounds, where Daniel, what was the Leoncino? Do you remember that? Uh, what was its weight? I, 455. 455? 455. Right. So, okay, so 25 pounds more. Big but, deal. Uh, and I also don't trust anybody's manufacturer's weight scales, because wet could be like one drop of gas in the thing or a full tank. Uh, I, never, I never trust those. So, yeah, compared to a CB500X... It's, it's pretty good. I mean, we're looking at a $500 price reduction, and we're looking at virtually the exact same specs. But what did we just say about the CB500X and the Honda dealership? Yeah. You go to the Honda dealership, there might not be a CB500X there for Oh, there probably aren't. Buy. Yeah, there probably aren't. I'm gonna, I'll say that. It's probably, they're probably just as easy to get as the Grom at this point. You know, they'll take your deposit, but it'll be several weeks until you get one. I met a kid today. I, w I went to uh, Best Buy to get headphones at my lunch hour. Mm-hmm. Okay. The the Honda like scene right now is so depleted. Okay. He paid thirty one hundred dollars for a used Grom from a dude. Well, we did talk about that in previous podcast. The motherfuckers are paying ridiculous money right now for used bikes, and that's a little creepy. Uh, that's 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 a lot creepy, actually. If you want if you want my real feeling on it, I think that that overinflation of the market today mm. is going to cause a real problem when the bubble bursts. Oh yeah, and dudes are going to be like, "Well, I don't know why I can't get thirty one hundred for this gram. I bought, I paid thirty one hundred for it last year." Yeah, but it's really worth two grand. You know? Since you should have given them your headphones, I could have. Yeah, yeah. Made that been in trade. Yep. I um, mean, it could, but they don't. But then the other angle of it is, it could potentially buoy. The used bike market right. for a little while. For a little while, these guys are going to try to hang. You know, I'm not selling this for yep. fifteen hundred dollars. I paid thirty one hundred dollars for yeah, it. Right? Hey, so they, like they say, most taxes that go up don't go back down again. Right. But, so once you set the market, the market stays. But it's going to happen, just like you see the Craigslist ads for guys that have like. I, I just saw it today. I'm always browsing whatever, and some guy had a really nice. It's it's mint condition, four thousand miles CB three fifty something. Right. He wants eight thousand dollars for it no 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 i mean his wife said you have to sell that fucking bike yeah or i'm out of here and i'm no, taking the kids with me he and had, for he years said, he's been he telling said, her honey it's up on craigslist no and but, for years he he's has, been telling her that bike is worth eight thousand i would agree with you except for in the description it says it says this is not your average cb this is one of a one in the country it is the most pristine blah, 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 and I know what I have, and if you don't think my asking price is worth it, don't even bother to contact me because I won't respond. Cool. Well, I believe the market needs to make a correction because my buddy just bought a 1980 Suzuki GS850, and this thing is a fucking total cream puff. And I think he walked away with this thing for like 1200 bucks or something like that, well, that from a collector. He's been riding the tits off of it. I love there it. There you go. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I'm surprised yeah. none of you guys jumped on the $200 83 Goldwing. 
Yeah, we jumped on it. We all talked. Right. Me and Smith talked about it. Yeah, we jumped on it. He'd have to store jumped it at his house, and he said no. Yeah. Yeah, we wanted to keep it where? What? And Over at Cinch Manor. No, I know. Cinch Manor has enough bikes like that. That thing. That Honey, thing. did you get another bike? <laughs> no, no, no. I like no, the way that Steve's. it was halfway to Bozaku, or I don't know how to pronounce Bozazuku? it. Bozazuku? Bozazuku. Yeah. yeah. Like, that would have just been like, oh, a little bit of tweak here, a little bit of that. Oh, yeah, it would have just been right. Yeah, it just needed a pipe sticking up off the back, and it would yes. been right there. Yes. It had the but paint job, it had the seat, see, yeah, and was, everything. It was leading you right yeah. into it. Yeah. They must have sold that solid gold CB350 because I'm on Craigslist and I can't find it. Ah, so, shit. Anyway. <laughs> I think he might have taken it down. Yeah, he probably got enough fucking hate mail. Yeah. 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 From other people trying to sell their shit. There yeah. better be like three kilos. There better His be three bought. kilos of Coke in the gas tank. That might have been the secret. <laughs> that might have been the secret <laughs> so, was I'm going to sell this bike one kilo at a time. Yeah. Right. So, I have a question. So, yeah. this 1980 GS850G, which is a shaft drive bike, right. five speed. Is the smoothest? I mean, okay, it's a four cylinder. I get it smooth. Whatever. Are we officially nicknamed it Silk? Silk. Yeah, that's okay. a great name, right? But so, like, I mean, like, it's so smooth when you're riding it. It's ridiculous how smooth everything is, right? Yeah. My Super Ten Razor shaft, and it, it 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 works great. It's fine, whatever. But it's like I almost felt like it was broken when I got back on it because it's not as smooth as the other bike. And this bike only has my my GS only has nine thousand miles on it, so it's not like right. It's not like a hundred thousand dollar when everything is smooth, but it might fall apart in five seconds, right? This is, like, still a pretty tight bike. Oh, yeah. How come they can't figure this shit out now, 25, 40 years later? Because when you build motorcycles today, you have to have a profit margin. Yeah. Okay? And They didn't have to have that in 1980? Suzuki didn't. So Suzuki kind of fucked themselves. Um, Well, I'll refer back to Miss Emma. Uh, Phil, darling, you have to understand that (laughs) everything in that bike is a fucking roller-bearing motor. Uh. So... You can't build motorcycle engines that way today mm-hmm. and maintain your profitability. Oh, okay. And so when Suzuki got into the inline four-cylinder game, it was rather late. Mm-hmm. And Suzuki really figured back in the day that they were going to do what the other companies couldn't do. They were going to build a bike that would never wear out. Oh, okay. And then they shot themselves in the other foot <laughs> by copying everyone else's exact style. Yeah. So if you build a bike that looks exactly like everyone else's bike and you build it so it'll never wear out, right. what happens in five years when your competitors are all selling brand new bikes? Yeah. Yours yeah. are still on the road. And I think that there is a certain amount of planned obsolescence that goes into the motorcycle industry yeah. of creating something that your customers want to buy new. And I will say, as a as a an aficionado of old motorcycles this era Mm -hmm. if you squint a little bit this motorcycle looks exactly like a 1977 or 1978 honda cb 750f yeah you're right with the tail and everything right down to the tail section right down to the kick in the seat right down to everything it looks like a cb 750f that's what that's what led me to this i was looking for a classic like you know old school bike right all the hondas every honda it doesn't matter what honda it is it can be the worst honda in the history of the world and it's still going to cost you twenty five hundred bucks because everybody's like, because that's is a, what the price is. This is a rare vintage yeah. masterpiece. Yeah. But, but that's nobody, a, oh, I'm sorry. Oh no, sorry. But nobody's figured this out with Suzuki yet. Right. Well, because the reason Hondas have held their value all the years is Honda had a policy where Honda was keeping spare parts in the system mm-hmm. much, much, much longer than Suzuki, You're Kawasaki, right. and Yamaha. Right. So in two thousand, let's just say, for example, this is nineteen eighty. If I went to my Suzuki dealership in nineteen ninety. 
and said, I need a set of seals. I need an output shaft seal for my, my transmission. I need a bunch. I got a list. I got a list of shit I need for my GS850G. Right. They're going to say, that train left the station three years ago, right. four years ago, five years ago. But I know, and this is not hyperbole, I was going to the Honda dealership buying parts for my 1972 Honda right. in 1998. Right. No, right? that's true. That so true. the parts support of the Honda motorcycles stayed on a lot longer, making it easier to own Honda motorcycles much, much later than their sell-by date. Right. But it makes more sense if you sold a million bikes right. to put the parts out there because you know you still are going to be able to sell parts. Right. We put Honda yep. put so many CB750s yep. out there that it made sense to carry CB7 parts. 750 for parts time. for 20 years after they were released because they're still out there running around today. I'd love to know the, the difference between like the model years, like 1980, like how many bikes did Honda sell compared mm -hmm. to Suzuki? You know what I mean? I'm sure you could lick it up. Well, yours yeah, is a yeah. Gen 2 from right. what I was looking because yeah. there was like the 77, 78, 79 right. GS850, but yours is the 80, 81. Mm -hmm. Right, which and has then the there's better the eight, Then there's the 82 through whatever. Right, and that's when they changed the body style and got kind of into like, That's when the headlight became square. Yeah. yeah. yeah oh, exactly. don't you worry. I've been looking up your little, you know, I've been doing a little. <laughs> you might so, not think I care about your new bike, but that's I do. A, huh. that's, a six, that's a 600 pound motorcycle. It is. It's so, not light, but it's smooth. Yeah. And it, you yeah. know what's funny? I don't know. It must be the geometry of the bikes, but it's easier to throw into a corner than most of my other bikes. Interesting. Are the tires safe? They're brand new. Good for you. So let me put Excellent. it this way. So this is what, if you're smart and you look around and you do stuff. Right. This guy bought this bike from the original owner who was 96. Whoa. So he unfortunately painted the carbs fluorescent orange for some unknown reason. Very, very and I think I'm going to leave him because it's yeah. kind of like his statement. And it yeah. would be a huge pain in the ass to do yeah, anything yeah, else with him. So part I mean, of you might as well just leave him. But so the guy, he, he bought the bike. He put braided steel lines on all the brakes, changed all the brake pads, changed the fluids, rebuilt the carbs. Uh, what else did he do? Put brand new tires on it, uh, lubed and did all the stuff to the transmission and decided that his other one that's exactly the same is a little bit better. So he just dumped this. But then he was like, you know what? I want it to go to somebody who likes it. So he met a very fair price and put it out there. And so when I, he's like, his question was, are you going to turn this into a cafe race or a ride? I'm like, oh, no, I want to keep it original. He's like, all right, you're the guy. I'll sell it guy. to you. Right on. So nice. it was kind of interesting. It was like, like, but they're out there. Like, you know what I mean? For 1200 bucks, I mean, that's Chinese scooter money. And you, when you, you think about it, I did find a little fun little article here about this bike. And they said that, you know, in 1979, 1980, when this bike came out, um, the GS850G, it actually was 29 pounds heavier than the GS1000E. Hmm. Hmm. So there's a GS1000E right there. Yeah, I'm already uh, looking at it going, yeah. hmm, I want And so there's too. a GS1000E right here in the room with us, same same year, right? Yep. And so your bike's 29 pounds heavier than that, and that's the difference between, they said in this article, it says, this was a bored-out 750. Your bike's a bored-out 750. Yep. Yep. It's not yep. a, a sleeved-down 1000. It's a bored-out yep. 750. Right. And they also said it was designed to be a bike for the avid touring rider, right. hence a, the shaft drive. Right, and right. there's a lot of guys that put bags and the whole wind jammer yep. fairings I've on them, them and all that yeah. kind of stuff. But yeah, but I, I did notice that. Like when I first got on it, I was like... 5.8 gallon gas tank. It is. Yeah. But it so. doesn't necessarily get like 70 miles to the gallon either. No, no, so. no, 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 no. Those are four highly efficient carburetors. <laughs> no, nope, not, not even close. And you know what else I learned about Suzuki is they don't have an off on the Petcock. No, they, it's they have prime. prime. 
on and reserve. reserve. Right. And when you do is you leave it on on. Right. Because it only sucks gas when the carbs are right. active and there's vacuum. When you reserve. put it in prime, it bypasses the vacuum circuit and just floods the system. I yeah. learned about that. My garage did too. Oh, you left it on prime. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Because I was like, well, it can't be reserve and it can't no. be on. That's prime puts all the pressure on your float needles. Yeah, That's, it was yeah. great. It was perfect. If yeah. you ever have any reason to change your fuel line, you will add two things: a inline fuel filter yes, and an, an inline, inline fuel, fuel valve. Yeah. yeah. Because that's that's every bike should just you should just do that. Yeah, mm -hmm. I will. because you want the off off for right. winter storage. Right. Yeah, I don't want the carb sitting with gas in them. Yeah, right. Because even it's in got the three, it's got three disc brakes. Yeah. Right. That's and, great. And 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 the eighty eighty and eighty one had the upgraded brakes. They actually don't suck. It's like the seventy nine <laughs> and stuff apparently suck. But and 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 it has brand new brake shoes and cal. I mean everything. The dude did all the work that I'd probably want to do. I all have right. to do fork seal. My one fork. <laughs> so. I got it on Sunday. Yeah. I, I dragged it home from Michigan. I got up early, rolled out there. The dude, the dude had all his shit at an airport, and he had a Bonanza V-tail. Okay. And I was yeah. one second from going for a ride in a fucking Bonanza V-tail oh, really? with a seventy-year-old dude yeah. until we figured out that COVID probably would be, not be a good idea to jump in the fucking airplane no, and go exactly. for a ride. Right. But then he had, you know, he had a couple <laughs> BMWs. He had the the SL125 <laughs> that I was, you know, he offered, but you know, it needed some work, whatever. But. uh yeah. I like that bike, but yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? I, I realized it didn't have the side covers, and I looked mm. up the side covers, and they're like four hundred and ninety dollars. Yeah, a piece. that's going to be a problem. Yeah, so that was the thing. I have a two hundred and fifty cc limit right now. Anyway, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, totally I, understand that. But it was just it was interesting. Like the whole the whole process was interesting. But anyway, we got back, and so obviously to, to make sure I got the thing home, it's a six hundred pound bike in a four by seven trailer. Yeah, I I fucking I strapped the bitch down like you wouldn't yeah. believe, right? Well. I think the dude put, they tell you to put about 12 to 16 pounds of pressure in the forks. In the forks. It also is an air. It's fork. air over oil. Yeah. I think he might have put about 20 or so. Yeah. Blow the seals right out of it. Uh, yeah, so like yeah. I didn't notice it. So when <laughs> I met Dan and we went for a ride, I thought my motor was blowing up because there was smoke pouring everywhere. But he looked over and there was just oil shooting out yeah, of the Yeah, every top. time you compress the suspension oh, yeah. and all, it's just a fountain yeah. of oil and coming it was, out. It was perfect. That, that little stream is just hitting the, oh, just the header. Right on perfect. the header, yeah. I have detected. <laughs> so you know what's funny? I've never been so relieved to find out that it's just a fork seal blew. All ahead, full, heavy left rudder and blows, burn smoke. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, yeah. fine. So now, you know what I did? I cut up a koozie and I just yeah. strapped it around it yeah, just to fine. keep it from squirting yeah. oil out. And, but I, I did order parts and I'll do that in a week or two. Yeah, so. that'd be fine. Yeah, it's fine. So my Don't tech, my it'll tech run tip. run out of oil soon. Yeah. <laughs> my tech tip is for filling, putting the air in your forks. Yes. Mm -hmm. So the way I like to do it is I go over to my air compressor. Right. I take the regulator that's on there. I turn it all the way down to zero. Right. So I start at zero, and then I crank it back up until it reads about five psi. Right. Then I take that and I go over and I put yep. until it equalizes and it won't put any more air in right. at five psi. Right. So now I know I only have five psi in my forks. Yep. Now if I push it and I feel I need a little bit more, I go and I can, you can turn it up and yep. it, it'll and you just watch the, it's the best. They yep. make tools. They yep. make a little thing that's like a little the handcuff, you know, like a little right. ball that you can. You know, well, that's what that I have for me. For the average person, is yeah. the easiest way to get five. I was going to ask. So, like, I have back from my mountain bike racing days. I have a Fox uh, Shock, mm -hmm. like little air pump that mm -hmm. goes from like it's very accurate. and It goes from zero to fifteen. That's, that's what, what you, you should have. That's okay. That's what you should. That's have. That's the right yeah. way to do the job. All right, cool. Yeah, because when you're going through a Schrader valve, really, it's the interface of getting the valve, getting the chuck on and off the Schrader valve. Yeah, because that can lose you. You lose your, everything, right. right? Yeah. And that small thing. So, like, the trick is really 
to have a vessel that only has that much pressure in it to start with, right? And then apply it, and then you, you're not worried about loss because the valve's going to close instantly. So right. you're fine. Okay. So you're good. Cool. All right, back to our test of the Benelli marketing system. Yeah. All right, here's bike number two. It's the TRK. Don't call it a truck because I'm going to call it a truck forever. That's um, great. And it's here's the 502 TRK. That was is that what the Benelli this one Benelli is? That's it. Okay, right so when we're looking at it's 518 funts. So uh, weighs 512, uh, 518 uh, 18 cheeseburgers, uh, 518 American weight units. Um, so this is what they call the, the 502. Now, there is a 502X. We're going to talk about that in a second, but let's get the 502 out of the way. I, you know, this should be an American thing, though, because look at the front of the snout. They have the fucking it's got eagle. A but they have the eagle yeah. fucking talent it's on it. It does. Beak. It's got a beak. It's got a beak with nose holes, and it's got 17-inch uh, wheels. It's got all the all the disky brakes all over it, and it is the 500. It's the same motor, so let's let's just get that away too. It's fuel injected, twin cylinder, eight valve motor, probably the exact same horse purse. Um, but they make one with spoked rims too. We're gonna right? get to that. Okay, all right. Yeah. She looks comfortable. Right. It looks like a very good whatever whatever that is. Um, you know, that bike is turn signals in the handguard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That bike is all of the adventure middleweights. Yeah. Right. I mean that that just to me looks like every single adventure middleweight out there. A little bit of crash guard sticking out the side. Yeah, there's there. a little bit of a hockey mask on it. It's got little crashy bars over here. You know, it's got some OEM. Like that's the stuff they're nice. gonna give that, you. That totally looks like a BMW had sex with the Triumph. And it created does. That. It does look like a BMW had sex with the Triumph. Charles it Fran. did. Um, it is a very and you know it's set up to carry all the bags and all the good shit too. Okay. Um, really just, I mean, we kind of went through the specs of this thing already, but it's got... What was the horsepowers? Um, it's going to be in the 50-ish. Yeah. Uh, was the BMW or the Triumph on top? Well, the right. BMW beak, you got the Triumph thing, the, the wheels and stuff kind of look triumphy. Yeah. Yeah. And the headlight assembly looks triumphy. Yeah. It's New modern Tiger. Looks modern tiger -y. It almost looks like it should be a Yamaha. I'll be it could honest. be a Yamaha. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. With the round little thing in the front and everything? Yeah. It could be a Yamaha, but it's a Benelli. So, you know, been making motorcycles since 1911. And shotguns and good stuff, too. That looks better than the Honda. Ooh. The Honda, the, the what was it, the CB500X? Yeah. CB500X, right? So let's go ahead and play the price game. So this bike is, wait for it. 65 $9,390. $7,500. Anyone else? Seven thousand says up in the corner nine thousand three hundred ninety dollars. Those are Australian freedom units, and I can't do that math right now, because also when you do um, right away, a lot of British companies and stuff like that, they do that right away pricing. They have by law they have to do that, so that's your tax title destination. All the vig pamper the chef. That's the vig. It's the whole deal, right? <laughs> All right. So we know the Leoncino was sixty one ninety nine, and it was a basic motorcycle, right? And it had none of this fancy hockey mask shit on it. This one's fifty nine ninety nine. What? Say excuse me. Yeah, fifty fifty nine ninety nine. Less. Oh, I'll have to have one of these. That is less. Hmm. So that is fifty nine ninety nine. That means that, that I don't think I'll ever do this, but I could sell my Super Tenray, buy that bike, and still take the wife on a vacation. <laughs> I'm sure she would approve of that. Yeah. She would probably like that very much. Yeah. Now you will see that there is some aluminum, uh, aluminium, panniers. On here, 
let's say all the words wrong. So we have aluminium panniers. So uh, and, and Janice, right? We have <laughs> Alia and 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 Janus. The uh, so those boxes on the back, the box kit. Yep. What's that going to set me back? Nine hundred and ninety-nine freedom units. Yeah, I'd go with some other brand. BMW yeah. guys would be like, "Can I get those and put them on my GS?" Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. So that's that's what that is. And now we're going to look at the bike's big brother. What? Well, hold on. It's the five hundred two X Ray. Oh, that's okay. So the five hundred two X Ray. What's the big difference between the five hundred two and the five hundred two X? The five hundred two X has spooky dokes. A bigger, stupid exhaust. It does have a bigger, stupider exhaust. I do agree with you. Um, it does have spokes. So that means it's an authentic adventure motorcycle yes. because it has spokes. Um, anybody knows anything about motorcycles knows that you're not allowed to be an authentic adventure motorcycle unless you have spokes. But here's the big question. With yeah. street tires. Are they, are they tubeless spokes or are they tubed Let's spokes? look closer. Maybe we can find out. Those sure look like tubes. Uh, that looks like a tube rim to me. Yeah, I don't see it has a, it has a very It has a very healthy center channel. Um, if you look in the photograph um, on the left above the letter S in the word dimensions, yep. the second letter S, um, it does appear to have a very, very deep center channel. Okay. Uh, we, you can do some looking around down That's that. That's what I'm going to try to find. Yep. So it is For a... For anybody wondering why we're talking about this, is because, you know, tube versus tubeless. You can't, right. if it's a tube tire with spokes, mm -hmm. you can't go tubeless because the air will leak out through the spoke nipples. And there are many different... Products that you can buy from 3M that are ways to cheat that, and you can put um, tubeless tires onto your tubed rims. Be fucking careful with that, people, because many tubed rims do not have, not only do not have the depth of a center channel that you need to mount tubeless tires correctly due to the stiffer sidewall required with tubeless tires than tube tires, but also... The side of the rim that holds the bead of the tire in will be different on a tubeless rim and a tubed rim, meaning that if you are running a tubeless tire on a tube-style rim, you may not have enough pinch there, enough authority to grab the sidewall of that tubeless tire. So be careful that your rim that you are about to turn into a tubeless tire is safe in a tubeless application. Not just, I bought the 3M tape and Silly Putty, and I went around and clogged up all the air holes for what from leaking out. So because that's how I know a lot of people do that. And they're like, yeah, I did the 3M conversion kit and I can run uh, tubeless tires in my DRZ now. Mm. Well, hold on a second there, Sparky. Um, <laughs> your rims may not be designed to hold a tubeless tire. Thou shalt not do what the factory has not. Right, exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. Trust the engineers that came up with all that shit because they, they spent a lot of time going to school learning really how to do it. really interesting video today. It was a guy took a GoPro yeah. and put it inside one of his wheels. Now, this was on a what? car and everything, but he put the whole setup inside one of his wheels and drove around. I'm very curious about this. But one of the more interesting aspects of the video was he actually had it in and had it running so he filmed putting the tire on and taking it off and everything. And that was actually kind of cool. That's very cool. To watch, you know, he had a tire machine. And it right. just, to just watch it go. And then when he hit it with air and it popped. And to yeah. watch everything seat, not only from the outside, but from the from inside. From the inside, too. Yeah, it was, oh, it was, that's kind of cool. And then driving it, you know, so now the tire, the wheel is turning. And so every once in a while, when, when that part of the tire hit the ground, to see the, the hump, the wump. Oh, the like wump. You, you would actually see, like, boom. 
Yeah. The tire pulsing. The tire that, flexing. Yeah, in that area. Very interesting. That That is very cool. All right, so this is the one, what is resplendent with the uh, spoky dokes and also resplendent with the wheels of a officially authorized standard for adventuring. And we are confirmed that the other version with the mag wheels yes. is tubeless and the spoked are tubeless. Yeah, all right. That's kind of what I would expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not shocking. Because like with the Stelvio, those are tubeless. Right, same with my Super T. Right. And your Super but T. But they have like a whole ridge thing where the yeah. spoke nipples come through Go the, ridge the ridge and not into exactly. the tire. Yeah. So and if you've got a tubeless tire, that's an advantage, be or a tube tire, that's an advantage because why? Ah, thank you. Steve, I'll let you take this one, and you then I'll give my opinion. What, the tubes for the off-road thing? Why do you guys who use the letters ADV in front of everything well, believe that spokes are good? Well, for one thing, they don't dent, and if they if you do hit something, you can usually tweak and tighten the spokes to kind of bring your wheel back to true when you're off-road riding. Two, you can air down quite a bit with tubes mm -hmm. and still not pop the bead off. That's and right. if you do pop the bead off in your tubes, you're not going to with a tube. Um, the disadvantage is you might get a flat, you know, but at the same time, you only have to take half your tire off to put a tube back in it right. to keep going. So that's pretty much the reasons that most guys use, you know, tube. Right. Off-road, and a lot of people will point out that a spoked wheel, mm -hmm. as opposed to a cast wheel, can take a fucking brutal hit. Yeah, I mean a ridiculously brutal hit, and still be rideable because of a tube inside and fixable compared right. to a, a, right. a mag wheel, which usually whereas cracks. a mag, when you take not so brutal of a hit, they crack pretty. Nah, I can't say pretty easy, but easier. Because there aren't, you know, 60 spokes or whatever, each carrying the burden. And remember that when you have a spoked wheel, it's not the wheel resting on the spoke. Right. It's not. It's the wheel hanging from the spoke at the top. Right? It's tension that it's is tension. holding the hub right. in the center. And the whole idea behind that is that, yes, if you could picture a spoke, a very thin piece of metal, holding the weight of your motorcycle up, it's not very strong at all. But if you can picture a piece of metal hanging something from the ceiling, it can certainly hang something from the ceiling far more than it can support in an upright fashion. And, and generally, yeah. the rim material is much stronger than the spoke material. So mm -hmm. if you do have a giant hit yep. off-road, yeah. you might blow three or four spokes out. Right. Worst but, case scenario. But you, you can still ride and absolutely. get somewhere. You, you know? can tune your spokes like a guitar. Oh, yeah. yeah. You tap them and you listen yeah. to the sound of them. If you have a dead one, you know that's a loose one. Yep. You can tighten it up. Um, I, I, I literally did that this last year because they say after so many miles you have to check right. on the Super T, and it's a different thing because I have whatever. But seriously, just like you're saying, I took a long screwdriver mm -hmm. and just tapped them. It was like ting, 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 ting. I wonder if you could download a wheel spoke tuner app for your phone. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, Go's got to be working on this right now. Do it. Yeah. But here's what I will tell you. Do not be like somebody I know that's sitting in my seat right now who went ahead on his first wheel that I ever did on my Honda MT250 Elsinore, mm -hmm. and I went around and I went, ting, 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 and I tuned them all so they were the same frequency-ish. Uh, yeah. So when I'd spin the wheel, I'd go, ting, 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 ting. I was like, that must be that my wheel's true now. Yeah. Because I'm stupid. And what I did was I put a big old whoop in that wheel. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah that's the idea behind spokes, is they are infinitely adjustable, mm -hmm. you know, or adjustable within a degree. So by tuning them all to be the same pitch... 
on a 20-year-old motorcycle, what it ended up having is I put a in, yep. induced a giant whoop in the rim. That would actually be, and I don't know, maybe yeah. you are or maybe somebody else here is, but that would be a great podcast topic, and to do it one day is how to true a motorcycle wheel. No. I would, I would never, ever, ever, <laughs> ever, ever try to try explain that yeah. because I can't. <laughs> Only person yep. who can is the guy you pay a, a good little, right. a nice, a reasonable price. Yeah. And you give that wheel to that motherfucker and let him do it. I've always trued my own, and I've done it for ages. And I've done it, I just did it on my KLR. Um, and I do it the simple way, you know, piece of tape and a chopstick. Put the bike up on, put the bike up on a block or put the bike up on a milk crate. Piece of, you know, piece of tape and, tape and a chopstick or a rubber band. And then just zing it. And they like, okay, yeah, get my toe. And, and just, all I'm doing is just trying to take whoops out. I'm yep. just, I'm fighting yep. them. And I'm pulling them here and pulling them there and kind of working one against each other. And if I can get it down to where it's reasonable. Within a quarter of an inch. Look, man, <laughs> these aren't side pull caliper brakes like we had when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Where I used to sit and fuck with those things for hours to make sure that my bike would roll as good as possible. And then have no brake drag at all. Because right. I didn't want my brakes to be stealing any of my the hard work. The problem is you can start chasing things. So. Yes, you can, and that's why it's devilish. You took the whoop out yeah. by way over-tightening this one spoke. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. these spokes are loose, Yeah. and this one is really tight. Oh, dude. Well, you know, I've got to tighten these up because they're too loose. Now the whoop goes, you know, like... And, uh, and they're too uh, tight, too. Like where, My friend, if you, you over-tighten will tighten it, a spoke until the air comes out of the tube. And I'm going to say that again for the cheap seats. You can tighten a spoke until the air comes out of the fucking tube, and I've done it. Where you're sitting there and you're chasing a problem, and you're like, I'm going to one more turn, one more turn, I'm going to one more turn, I'm going to one more turn. And then you get everything right, and you're like, cool, it's great, take the bike out for a ride, flat tire. Yeah. What the fuck happened? Well, I pulled that tube, I pulled that spoke into that nipple so far and went out the backside of the nipple, and even though I had a rim strip in there, it wasn't enough. I punctured the rim strip and punctured my tube. Mr. Smart Guy had to tune his spokes. I didn't have a problem. Now I got a big problem, right? <laughs> well, I, I have like six or eight spokes on the Yamaha that are pretty rusty that yeah. I want to replace. So it's going to be interesting to try to do. Don't I'm, do I'm not it. sure if I'm going to <laughs> try it myself or you not. Spin that wheel. Steel wool. That, you spin that wheel and it looks nice and straight. Fucking clean this fuck out My of those spokes. My friend is paint them. Paint Steel the fucking spokes. or black paint. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. But I also have an issue with the S65. I was looking at the back tire on that and I'm yeah. like, there's this bulge. Yeah. So I'm looking really close and he entrapped... Part of the tube, oh, and the yeah, beat of the tire, yeah, wow. So, you know, and it, these That's are basically like mountain bike tires. Right? You know? Yeah, well, right. you know, you talk about putting tires on, and like uh, you can really fuck up when you're well, not really fuck up, but you can create a dangerous situation yes, you when you put a tire on and it doesn't set right. Oh yeah. And one of the, you know, my, my buddy did one, and he was riding. The, you know, he's like, I rode the bike, and it's like it's got this, blah, 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 blah. and then all of a sudden his forks locked up, and he's yeah. like, well, I don't know what's going on. Dude, I'm like, that that so happened. Spun the tire, and I look at it, and I'm like, it's obvious what's going on. Yeah. It's pinched in at this end. It's bulging out That's at this right. end. Yeah. Let the air out of it. Straighten it yeah. out, and then you'll be fine. And yeah. then yeah. So the, the the bike that you have, the Husky that yeah. used to be mine. Well, it had a tire on the front, and I, I, it was flat. You know, like I, it was the winter when I got the bike, and I had it. I stored it. I put it away. A couple, like a couple months later, I went. Tire was flat, so I aired it up, and I had no idea that the bead had just popped out a little bit. Yeah. So when it got to be warm, we went for a ride, 
and everybody's riding, and I'm riding. It's about 20 minutes into the ride, and I can't feel my hands. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? The things are And hours. so I was like, yeah. the forks are fucked. Everything's right. fucked. I, right. This whole bike sucks, yeah. and I hate it. And yeah. I went home, and, and I called my buddy Mike, Mike, and he was like, bring it over. Let's right. just take a look at it. So we brought it over there. He's like, let's just start from the basics, deflate the fucking thing. Take all the air Take the all the shit. Yep. We'll pop the bead, put yep. it back. We rebeaded it, put it back in, and it was like a fucking glass slipper on the way home. It's amazing how, like, and I have no idea, and, and it wasn't like, and it it's was amazing you didn't die with any amount of the tire not beaded. Yeah. It, well, no, it was beaded, but it wasn't perfect. But it wasn't seat. It wasn't right. seated. It wasn't perfect. Right. It and, wasn't like, that's seated. the thing. It so was if like, if you get a flat tire like that, yeah. Make sure you suspend the tire in air yeah. before you try to and, fill it and up. And pop yeah. that fucker hard yeah. with some good pressure. It, yeah. Like, if it takes 30, give it 40 or 45, let it pop, yeah. bring it down. But then, more, like, just like John said, spin the thing yeah. and look, put your fingers oh, on the side yes. and feel it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you can see if a tire's, you know, oh, yeah. spin it and just look at it. You'll see it. We'll womp, uh, you'll, see, you'll see problems. Well, yeah, but I'm pretty I, I sure give... the back tire on my BMW is true because if you look at it, yeah. it looks like it's touching the drive shaft <laughs> too. <laughs> and I've looked at it's other R90s illusion. of that era. Yeah. They're all like yeah, that. Like, it's like, it looks like it's it touching. To it's not. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. almost an interference fit, but it's right. not. We made it that way. Yep. <laughs> it's okay. It was fine. We had BMW. We made that work. Now you can only use German tires. I'm out of good beer. <laughs> all right. But, well, but there you go. I'm out of beer. <laughs> You're out of good beer. It's all credit. So, like, that's one of the things about having motorcycle buddies, and like, everybody knows different it's things. Yeah. Still some I've never, I never had a tire. There. I never had a tire problem like that before. So to have somebody else that had, you only need to find out that information one time, and then you know it. You yeah. Know, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of cool to have that happen. Well, you know, experience is learning, and that's that's you know. All right, you guys. No, no progress is made without. Here we failure. are, the advanced class. Right. All right, so this is the one for the guys who are like, I just want to be a little more accepted. I just want to be a little more accepted with my other ADV buddies. Is this the cruiser? I have no. I have spokes. We got to price it. Okay, okay. Remember the other one was fifty nine ninety nine. Sixty two. Well, this one has to be sixty five. Sixty two or sixty five. It's sixty three ninety nine. Aha! All right. And to put all the aluminum uh, impact protection on it, meaning those big boxes, uh, another nine ninety nine. Or actually, what I've discovered um, when I hit that tar snake with Dan and almost mm -hmm. killed myself, yeah, they're leg breakers. Mm -hmm. That's what they actually are—the metal boxes. Yeah, you throw your leg out to stop yourself. Yeah, and, and the box hits your leg out, and it tries to break yeah. your leg. I just yeah. don't know what's up with that big cam, but maybe that makes it a little more like nice and quiet or something. I don't like know. That? I don't know. I don't know, but you're right. It is a very big can. That's the Nicki Minaj motorcycle. Mm. All right, all right. <laughs> a big old can. A big old, big old can. A can can. So there it is. So now, the real question is: I mean, how many of these do I order? At least one of those uh, 502s. <laughs> do you want to order the 502 with the little wheels or the 502 with the big wheels? Uh, uh, either one. I have to be realistic and realize that we're in Ohio, so probably the mag wheels. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I, I would have to bet that that Leoncino would be the big seller. Well, yeah, I, th I think people agree with you because uh, I got an email today that said order quickly. We're sold out of the red ones. We only have black ones left. Mm. For the Leoncino. And for me, though, I don't. Because to me, I see the Leoncino at $61.99 as being way too close to a lot of other 500cc and, and, Hondas and to be honest and with you, Suzuki's and stuff like the that. The same company produces that fucking 302 that's mm -hmm. sitting right over there that's mm -hmm. way sexier than that. 
And it's two thousand dollars cheaper. I agree. The three hundred two is a really good value. And how much performance difference is there Not between much. the two? Not enough. Right. Right. Not enough. Yeah. So, um, I did look it up, and it does turn out that the the foot pounds, uh, the foot pounds on this one are uh, 33, 33 foot pounds. Which thirty three foot pounds is not that many foot pounds difference than the three hundred two. Right. So you're right. Yeah, it's not. And I'm sorry, man. The three hundred two is a fucking beautiful bike. It is, especially really in the green because it matches the one thirty five. Right. Is, yeah. It is. Yeah. I mean, we do like the green ones around here. They're yeah, I special. Like that, 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 that the picture of that one and that blue, the TRK and that blue. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. That's the one. It's very handsome. It's a very handsome bike. Yeah, I totally agree. So we'll see. We're going to see if we have anybody that's hot to trot about it. Again, it's an introduction. We'll you know we'll see if our customers are You've into it. Blown your load though, man. You oh, don't yeah. have room for another bike, <laughs> do you? No, I have to sell to buy. Oh, okay. that's what happens. Yeah. Oh, one in, true. one out. Okay. This is this is exactly it. All right. Uh, Hold on a second. I have a graphic training aid for us. Uh oh. Uh huh. So Phil a has gotten up and what he's grabbed something. These nuts. The name of the segment today is These nuts. Castellated. I'm holding in my hand a nut. It's castellated. I'm going to pass it around once. Everybody's going to take a quick look at it. Don't hold it for more than 10 seconds. Keep your opinions to yourself. Don't say what's wrong with it. Pass it to the left. Okay? These nuts. And then we're going to have the, the game of saying, what did this cost? Ooh. <laughs> pass it along. You've had enough time. All right. Oh. <laughs> All right. And I'll hold, right, it up. Yeah. I'll hold it up for our podcast with viewers at home. All right. Go right up there. You got to get right into the pie hole. Get right into the pie hole. Right up the. There it is. It'll focus. There it is. Yep. So See there's that? the nut in question. Okay. Yep. Yep. All right. So there it is. So those of you who are trained in the art of hardware will notice that this is, in <laughs> fact, a grade four. Yeah. So it's a grade four nut. It's cheese. Um, it's not a particularly hard nut. No. It's kind of a soft nut. So on a grading scale, grade yeah. four, mm, yeah. a yeah, grade four, you, you'd want to shoot for something like a grade eight or something eight, like yeah. that. And yeah. for its size, you know, it's got, it's, it's skookum, it's big, you know, yep. it's got size. That's um, like over a, what, a six mil bolt or something or? Um, more like a 12 mil. 12? So the bolts, the bolts 12. I can size it for us. All right. I'll size it for us. Give me a second. I was thinking, I was thinking hex. Well, like six. Six millimeter hex. That wasn't on an axle, was it? No, no, no. no, no. That was. On what a, would that be on? A shock mount? Mm. No, it's so thin though. It's a thin bolt. Thin, narrow like that. Wait, look behind you. Not a swing sw arm bolt. A swing arm bolt. Yeah. Look at, look at. Maybe on the SSRs. Yeah, but that's not what they're using on no, those. No, there's a flat thing behind it. I don't no, know. no, 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 right. no, so, no. Um, this is nope. another one for our for our listeners at home. If you don't have one of these, folks, get one. Uh, these fucking things are like priceless in my world. Um, this is a device that has all the metric sizes. Oh yeah. Um, and the idea is there's a Gazinda and a Gazauda on each very one. Mm. I so, knew I should have brought that bolt along. So if you have a mystery bolt, you can thread it in here there and then read go. on the size and it says what it is. So this bolt, this nut is in fact an M12 by oh. 1.5. So, uh, it's so how does that work? Is it the outside diameter? Because the like, outside diameter is what the outside diameter is. So the outside diameter is going to be, but you isn't know, that six, 17 millimeter or whatever? But right. So that's an M12 by 1.5 nut. 
But isn't that about the size of a six millimeter hex wrench? Well, that you can't go by that because right. we're talking about the threads. Oh, and the th yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. can have a certain size thread right. that has a bigger size right. hex on the yeah. top. You know what I mean? So yeah, you know, yeah, you're right. Just you're because right. it takes a ten millimeter doesn't mean it's an M6. Right. You're right. You're right. And so, for the people who are for the home gamers who want to have uh, the ability to determine, you know, what hardware you're dealing with. And it's fun, you know, it's winter time, it's cold out, you have nothing to do, you've masturbated already, you have nothing better to do in the day. It is fun to go through a giant bucket of hardware mm -hmm. and size it all. And uh, size it all, and you'll find that if you can size a whole bunch of hardware, you might have saved yourself... You Your know, idea of fun is way different Three than Three or four dollars. <laughs> well, some people build fucking, you know, some people build jigsaw puzzles. Right. I like to go through until, look... This made sense when we thought you were Irish. Now look, the video will clearly show that when you said what size is it, I told you it was an M12. You did, you okay. did, yeah. You so did. I optically am calibrated you to have. tell you it was an M12. You're right. I couldn't tell you the thread pitch because there's very little of a fucking thread yeah, left. Yeah, right, I was about to say. I, I, could, I couldn't tell you either. Yeah, nobody could. Well, we know one say, person that could. That's not fine. All right. It's not cool. So this is 19 mil Ooh. OD. So like it's outer measurement, it would, you, it would require a 19 millimeter wrench. I need that. You don't need this one. No, I do, because I have to JB weld it to a rod to take my forks apart. That's what oh, holds the thing, okay. so I all need right. a 19 mil thing. So, now, we've all seen this. Would anyone like to guess what component in a motorcycle this keeps from going somewhere it shouldn't be going? Me and John discussed, and we can't figure it out. We looked, we, we checked things, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I hope that's not on an axle. It would have to be a really small bike for it to be like the swing arm pivot bolt. It would... Um, Motor mount bolt? Nope. Oh. It is the output shaft to a Vespa scooter. Oh. It is So the way that these things work is the front of the motor um, has a crankshaft, and the crankshaft goes into the variator. And the variator opens and closes, and as the variator yeah, opens and closes, the belt gets bigger and smaller, yes. you know, yep. the diameter, yes. and your gear yes. ratio changes. Yes. That's how variators work. Yes. But at the back of the motor, in the cheap seats... We have the clutch assembly, mm -hmm. and the clutch assembly goes through some, usually some sort of a gear reduction. Yep. And there's a, a shaft there that holds the clutch on, mm -hmm. and the clutch has three shoes on it usually. Mm -hmm. And as the clutch spins faster, the shoes Open. spread out further, and that engages the drive. Right. Yep. So yes. when you're sitting there idling at 1,200 RPM, the bike isn't trying to drive down the street until you get up to about 2,500 RPM, where those shoes run out and they grab that nice bell housing. Get it past stall. Get it past the stall RPM, and that grabs that bell housing and spins it, and that makes the back wheel go roundy roundy through usually some sort of a gear reduction, not just direct. Right. So this is the nut. What holds the clutch bell housing, and therefore the clutch, onto the output shaft. Yeah, I know that's not holding the, the front part of the variator because that has to be very substantial, especially on a Vespa because it's not really splined per se. Like it has, like the Vespa just has little tiny spline. Ugh. Yeah, right? So here we are. So now. Some Chinese bikes have no spline. So this is off of an Italian Vespa, okay? Now. So if the nut looks like that. Imagine what the shaft looks like. So now here we go. <laughs> That's what she said. Right. So here's the problem. <laughs> this little motherfucker right here. According to my handy-dandy guide for metric fasteners and hardware, which you can find anywhere online, that tells you what torque spec to use for virtually any piece of hardware in the world. Once you measure the piece of hardware like we did, then it will tell you online what to torque it to. Or at least the max that you could torque Thank it to. You. 
the guidelines for safe operation of this piece of hardware. Right. So the safe operation for this piece of hardware in this application is 36 uh, foot-pounds of torque. That means, you know, at the end of a foot-long shaft, you'd have 36 pounds there. And now there's all kinds of different ways you can play that game, but the most of which is to use something resembling... One, maybe two Gadugas. Not, yeah, one or two Gadugas only, right? Uh, depends on the Gadugas, right? But more importantly, yeah, if you had a, a torquey wrench, whether it's the old bar kind mm -hmm. where the needle stays in place and the wrench bends and that deflection of the needle tells you how many torques it is, mm -hmm. or whether it's the more modern clicker style or the super I'm a genius and work for NASA digital style. But the point being, you can figure out where 36 you know, foot-pounds of torque is. Now... This gentleman who installed this. Mm. So what he did was to save himself the money of going to a professional. He decided he was going to change the springs in his clutch shoes to give them a later action point. Therefore, the bike would hit harder so that it would engage the clutch at a higher RPM. And then this is a part of... Uh, Automatic transmission tuning, mm -hmm. where people change their variator weights and they change yeah. their uh, springs in the back and their clutch shoe, their clutch shoes, to make it engage differently than the factory recommended. I mean, it's no different than in the racing world. If you're a drag racer, Absolutely. you'll Three put in a, a 3500 stall. So that means that your engine gets up to 3500, gets well happens. into the power range before it starts hooking up. There's no lag. Right. When it hooks up, it's Gone. And that's learned, exactly what this guy was going for. I learned a very hard lesson back in the day when I built this 91 CRX with this big motor. And I was like, ooh, a racing clutch. That's not, a three-puck racing clutch sounds like the best thing ever until you try to drive it right. on the street. And it's just off and on. You can't on. drive it. No, it's, it's light fucking horrible. And that's what this You're gentleman... You're like, run, 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 yeah. run, 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 run. <laughs> that's what this gentleman was going for. He was going for something that in the performance world means... We're not going to make the scooter go forward no. until it has far more revs on. Right. Which is going to be more enthusiastic of a launch. Yep. But the engineers who built it and designed it, who aren't fucking idiots themselves, right. said the way it comes from the factory is to give you delightful, reliable performance. Right. But okay, Mr. Smarty Pants, you're smarter than we are with your no dyno. Um, you're going to buy some shit that somebody on internet said you should buy, who's probably selling the motherfucker in the first place. And what's going to happen? is then you're going to go out and you're going to take this fucker apart and you're going to put it back together again with your self-described Sears Craftsman circa 1960s bar-style torque wrench. He swears he put it on at 34 to 36 PSI, and I swear he's a fucking liar because I can tell you that I worship at the church of Loctite. And with Loctite, we can go plus 25% on any torque spec because Loctite acts as a lubricant then it lacks, lacks, acts as somewhat of an adhesive. Right. I love Loctite, and I can also tell you that I have installed hojillions of these. <laughs> and yes, and sometimes I do use the Dugga Dugga. Well, with Loctite, you could put that on at 16 foot pounds. Right. And you know where it's going to stay? On. At 16 foot pounds. Exactly. <laughs> right. It, it overcomes gross neglect and mistakes of mechanics. Loctite really is the smartest thing you can put in your bike. And you know what? Go ahead and use the red. You're probably never taking it apart anyway. Mm. So, <laughs> And if you do use the red, uh, yeah. there's different things that can break it down. Absolutely. Nail polish remover yeah. or simply heat the heat. fuck out of it. Make make it your, take your soldering iron and yeah. stick it on the make bolt for five minutes and you should be good. There you go. Yep. You'll be fine. So I checked with Vespa today, parts department. Yep. 
Would you like to know <laughs> if we did this at the shop? If you came into my shop and you said, "Phil, here's my dipshit clutch I bought yeah. from you know Melosi, whoever the fuck, yeah. Scooter West, whatever." Whatever. Here's the thing I bought, and it's going to make my bike go so much faster. It's going to make my teeth brighter. Mm. My coat's going to be shiny, and everything's going to be great. I'm going to get pussy. rock hard. Yep. Right. And this is a Vespa, by the way. This is a $6,000 scooter I bought from you not 45 days ago. Wow. So it's a new 2020 scooter. Oh, brand new. Oh, perfect. Brand new. Yeah, brand new. We would have charged him an hour to install that clutch. Right. We looked it up. It's one hour. That's like, what, 100 bucks? 90 bucks. 90 bucks. Right. Yeah. You know what it's going to cost him now? Oh, thousands. $793. Oh, geez. $793. And now I found out just from James earlier today that now it might actually be a little bit more money because it turns out that um, they don't have that output shaft oh, anywhere in the United States oh, right so, now. So it did. So the bolt. So the nut wasn't a little bit softer than the shaft. So it took out both. It so took it's out not both. just the nut. It's also the it shaft. It took out the shaft. And this goes back to what we were talking about putting flywheels on. The, you got it. You know, it's not so bad that you stripped out the nut, but you stripped out the fly the end of the crank. Mm. He or tightened the end it. of the outpush, yeah. He tightened it, and then he tightened it, and then he tightened it, and he tightened it, and he tightened it just a little bit more, and then it got really loose. And then it started getting loose. <laughs> That's where he should have stopped. And you know what? You can't untighten it from that point. Yeah. So once it starts getting loose, and you're like, oh, yeah, come on, babe. Whoa. You cannot go backwards. There is nothing worse than that feeling. Yeah. That oh, feeling, I know, man. I, so many times with the aluminum shit. Because you've just gone from being a maintenance-type job yeah, to, to a major system repair. Yeah, helia coils and all kinds of the shit. The output shaft on. on this bike, it's so frustrating because you're looking at the clutch. Now, the clutch is... Now, you fucked it up. You screwed the pooch already. That nut's... That nut and that shaft are just jelly. They know each other. They're great. And parts of one are in the other. You're fucked. Unless you have a welder and you're okay with that. Yeah. And you're okay with that. And you're okay with that. You know how long I'm going to own this bike? Forever. <laughs> That's it. You know what I'm going to need when I want to fix it? Another welder. And a cutting right. cutting, right. cutting torches. Yeah. Oxy is settling to the rescue. So, so does, does this bike still have a warranty on the engine? No, sir. <laughs> Not when you put a racing clutch no, on no, it. No, that was fucked the whole thing he, up. Yeah. That's the, uh, it's a two month old bike. part of the cost. I can't yeah, send right. He no longer right. has a warranty. I right. can't <laughs> send a picture of this to Piaggio and be like, y'all fucked up. No. no, 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 no. But here's the great, horrible part is you're looking at this shaft and you're like, okay, great. It's no big deal. That shaft can't be too much money. Uh, I'll just get a new shaft. I'll get a new output shaft. No, no. The output shaft goes through the case, oh. which means everything on the right side's got to come out too. Right. And when people smear the cranks on these variators, which they do all the time because mm -hmm. of the same thing, yep. whoa, when they smear the cranks, they don't realize that to fix the crank, motor out of bike, yep. motor completely split cases, 100% apart. Yeah. While we're doing this, while we have this motor apart for you, is there anything else you'd like us to do to it? Because this would be the time. This is the time. Would you like a race crank? Would you like a different top end? Yep. Would you like anything in the future of your life with this motor? Right. Because we're now in the middle. Yeah, we are essentially going into the human body and replacing the spine. This the first CVT that I rebuilt, yeah. I ended up having to replace the crank. Right. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Because Smith is familiar. I was stupid. Right. When you do that, you got to bring in the chest splitter. The chest and once the chest splitter and the, comes and in. The, and the user was abusive. Yeah. Well, yeah. A bit abusive. <laughs> but here's what I will guarantee. That 
saved him $90, but cost him well over $700, $800. Yeah, that's crazy. And it's also, the most, the worst thing is, when I pick the bike up, he's like, hey, man, you know, if there's anything you can do, I got a big ride going on this weekend at the islands. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> You're not riding this bike anywhere. I'm like, I, I, you know what? I'm not going to tell you that I know everything about Vespas right. or variator transmissions, but I'm going to tell you is if it goes vroom, vroom, vroom on this end and it doesn't go spin, spin, spin on that end, you ain't going to the islands this weekend, pal. <laughs> well, he can if he trailers it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And he's going to trailer it everywhere, too. He'll be the only guy in the trailer going, yeah, what's up? But I can drink and drive, motherfuckers. Yeah. Because he's on the trailer. But that is a great example of know your fucking limits. And if you don't own a torque wrench... Because he can say that he tested it with a torque wrench and whatever, but the point being, eh, every time I've done it with a torque wrench, I've never had a problem. Every time I've done like, fuck it, nobody's looking, dugga dugga, it's been a problem, you know? Or every time I've been like, oh, I got this two, two foot long breaker handle here, it's been a problem. So uh, this is a great example. Save 90 bucks, spend 800 bucks. My dad told me that a long time ago when I was working on cars. Yeah. And he had... I don't know where he got... Well, he worked for TRW, so he had all these weird tools. Mm -hmm. So he had a normal quarter-inch socket right. driver. Yeah, quarter-inch socket. Yeah. But it, the, the handle was only like that big. Three inches long, yeah. And he yeah. was like, use that for 90% of yeah. everything because you can crank the same all the shit you want to crank on it thing. and you can't fuck anything up. So the, the thing I learned from my grandfather, yeah. God rest his fucking weird-ass cowboy <laughs> punching too fast, hard soul. The thing that I learned from my grandfather is... You only use Dugga Duggas yeah. for taking things apart. Off, yeah. You don't ever use Dugga Duggas for putting things together. He's like, no impact driver on the planet should have a forward gear. Right. He's like, it's just a bad idea. If your impact driver has a forward gear, you're an idiot. Well, that's what you yeah. see all these YouTube dudes, right? And they're always working on bikes and yeah. stuff. And like <clears throat> for the most pedestrian thing, they're always pulling out some fucking like battery operated like thing, yeah. you know? But then like they're doing their oil right. on their car. And they take it out, and they're like, all right, then all you have to do is put the oil plug back in, and they pull out their fucking electric thing, and they're like... <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, no, 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 don't do that. No. Like, why are you doing that? No. You, know what's, you know, gold is expensive, <laughs> but aluminum oil pans are more expensive. And time-consuming. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Dude, my wife's Jeep, back yeah. in the day when she had it, yeah. the oil pan rusted. Yeah. I don't know how that happens oh, no, with I, the I, thing, yeah, but... Yeah. but to, to get to it, you had to move the motor up yep, five the because the, the cross right. member yep. was cross under. member's totally in the way. So Four yeah. con lines are the same way. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> it's a really, really bad thing yeah. to strip out threads just about anywhere, <laughs> but there are other places that you get to wear the stupid hat a little longer. Oh, yeah. 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 And that is, stripping out threads is a big deal. So use the electronic impacting tools, which are great, uh, but yeah. use them in reverse only. And if you're going to use them in forward mode, Get real good with them, like that Ryobi John got me. <laughs> I'm an artist with that thing now, but when you do, when you prep like 22 bikes in a row, yeah. you do get lazy, mm. and you're like, "Fuck it, battery terminals, go after it with the Ryobi." And you're like, set that thing in and just whoop, wail on it, right? Yeah. Well, battery terminals are made of lead. Yeah, they're made of lead, which is the metal equivalent of cheese. Yeah, you have you have literally one eighth of a turn from. The correct tightness to broken. To broken. Yep. Yeah. And that's, well, that's that's a good thing about them too because yeah. I have these breakers that we cut out of the fender of the Crown Vicks or 50 amp breakers. Okay. Yeah. So you you just rip them out. 
but the the nuts are because the, the the screws and the nuts are so rusted you can't. Oh, they're them. literally put in with self tappers, right? So when I go to use one, I throw it in the vise, put put the nut in the vise. Yeah, and I just put my tool on, and go, and it just breaks it right it just off, destroys it. <laughs> <laughs> but then you were talking about the quarter drive thing. Yeah, I'd use the three eighths drive, but choke all the way up on it. Choke up on yeah, it. Yeah, so you yeah. can't. I can only give it that much. That, yep. that can't. I can't hurt anything that way. Yeah, yeah. it's true. It's really true. I, sometimes I feel like my right forearm will click at 30 well, foot pounds and you were talking about taking yeah. stuff off so anybody working on old school bikes or japanese bikes or anything like that the the, the impact impact you know screwdriver impact Vessel driver impactor. or whatever you call yeah. it is is priceless you will yeah. not strip screws out no, anymore if you use that to take it right. out right just a couple of wax and the thing's loose and i will do it we'll do another shameless plug because it's been more than six months <laughs> so, yeah. since it's been, so since the folks at Vessel apparently thrive on this shit Okay. Um, so I'll bring it. I'll bust it out for you. Phil's getting something. He's walked away. In the interim, I was put, putting float bowls back on a set of carburetors, mm -hmm. and I'm sitting there thinking through my head. I'm like, what would a good person tell me how tight these little screws should be? Because you're holding the float bowl on and everything, and I'm thinking now I've got to decide. This screw is going in a float bowl on a bike that can run at thirteen thousand five hundred RPM. Now, I want them tight, but I also still would like to be able to get them off someday. At some point, right. And I found myself doing the little wiggle method. So yeah. I had a reasonable screwdriver that fits in there. So I tightened them up. I didn't go, right. like as hard as I could, but I did the little, just yeah. like yeah. kind of nudge it, like wiggle it yeah. back and forth till it kind of like, mm, that's a good place. It's a good place. Yep. And that's yep. what I did. That was, uh, you can only do I can, say, I can tell you, but you have to be there. You have to do it yeah. yourself to so, understand what I'm saying. All right, there you are, our podcast viewers at home. You'll see on the side where it says Vessel or Wessel, if you're nasty. And you'll see that it's a, a non-slip. This is a fine uh, from J.A. Pan. And you'll see it comes in all the different sizes of regular Phillips head screwdrivers, as this. The two-screwdriver set is like $39, yeah. $39 on Amazon. That's about what it is. Yeah, and then just back here is the, uh, the area what for whacking it, okay? So when you whack these, when you whack them, you know, and uh, we're going to let this substitute for hammer. When you do that. Whoa. All right. Yeah, sorry about that. When you do that, <laughs> it turns the shaft backwards. Yeah. So if you use this as a screwdriver, and, and it is a JIS tip, so it's right. not a Phillips. It is a JIS. Which and makes you a could, big difference. It is a big fucking deal. Uh, Impacta from Vessel. Uh, made in Japan. Now, they... Is that a two-way operation, though? Can you do the same thing no, as you would with you cannot. A, it so is only for loosening. This is what, and this is what we said. This is for loosening only. Mm -hmm. if, you use, if you use an impact to tighten something, I fucking hate you. Because that's what chemicals are made for, right? It's called um, security. It's security, all right. And then it's usually sheared off. Uh, so the Japanese method of determining the size of a... Um, JS bit, a crosshead, is not ours. So our P2, Phillips 2, which is usually what everything in the world is, is a Phillips 2, right. P2. Um, on this one, it's very handy. It says on the side, it's a P2 slash 100. So the 100 is the Japanese version yep. of what damn near everything is on the bike. So if you wanted to be cheap and just buy the one, yeah, that's you would want to get oh, that buy one. This one. Yeah. Yeah. That's buy like the one that says the 100. So it's the impact at 980. Um, this thing is gold because when you're doing carburetor float bowls, all you have to do um, is literally just put the thing in your fucking hand or put it on the workbench, set this in that 
piece of shit Velveeta screw mm -hmm. that you should buy a hundred of. And if you use an American screwdriver, you're going to fuck you're fucked up. already. Yeah, yeah. And then just give this a little tap. And I mean, its range of operation is a quarter of an inch, ten millimeters. Um, when you give this thing that rotation, I've taken these apart before, and it is literally just a wedge against a wedge. It's the camest, easiest thing in the world. It's one barely moving part, and it works a treat. These things are magnificent, mm -hmm. and if you are taking apart Japanese motorcycles on the reg, um, I love that there's a little icon on there that tells you how to use it that, that has little lightning bolts that suggest impact. Mm. I love little icons. I like hieroglyphics on tools yeah. that tell you how to use it. Um, now, this is, of course, this would be our P3. What were you just saying jobs. about uh, bikes and their fluid levels that you liked on your new bike that a lot of new bikes don't do? Oh. The side yeah. glass? No, 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 no. So on your right there, too, yep. Yep. if you look next to the oil area. Yes, it tells it, you how many how many CCs milliliters are supposed to be in it. And yeah. on, right. the, on the top, it right. tells you what oil do you Exactly. Right. What, what? You don't need to consult the owner's manual. Why? Do, what? How hard is it to do that? It's expensive. To, to, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Every time you do that, it costs like 14 cents. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dude, seriously. Right. Every new motorcycle, you have to look shit up, all yeah, that stuff. Well, all the time. You also get things like my Yamaha, which has a, a wet clutch right. and mm -hmm. uses 10W30 in the gearbox, but they don't tell you that when you drain it, it right. doesn't drain the clutch area right. so that it has marked on there how yep. much it holds, oh, but, but it, that's only the first time you fill exactly. it, not mm. when you change the right. oil. It's the oil fill versus an oil change. And a lot of them will say in the owner's manual, it'll say oil fill, 1.1 liters. It'll say oil change, 0.90 liters, because there's oil you can't get out. Well, right. you know, you were just talking about, you know, prime working on a primary of a you know, of a scooter mm -hmm. and having like a graduated drain pan yep. would not be a bad idea. So you could actually oh, man. get a quick number of what just came out of there. Yeah. So you know, so I measure you could, a you could lot start by putting that much back in right. and then checking your level. Yeah, exactly. I measure a lot of things when they come out, especially fork oil. So fork oil is a real good one. You're like, oh, you know what? I'm, it's a weird old bike. I'm not going to look up and see how much fork oil is supposed to be in each leg. I'm just going to drain. I'm going to measure what's in there. And I'll measure what's in the right leg. I'll measure what's in the left leg. And if I'm like, ah, oh, it's a four ounces or something, at least we know where to start, right? Here's another one I'm going to pass around. Is that a box? That one? is a proper spoke wrench. And the trick with a proper spoke wrench is it supports the nipple on three and a half sides out of four. Oh, and yeah. With this, you're getting friction surface on four points of the square nipple that is the spoke wrench. So what I'm looking at is a lot like a line wrench. It's very much a line wrench. But it's not a hex, it's a quad. It's a quad. So it's a four-sided line wrench. And the thing that makes these things beautiful is spoke nipples are usually made of brass um, or you know something very, very light or very soft because they don't want them to rust. You absolutely don't want your spoke nipples to rust. And so getting coverage on four points of a spoke nipple of when you're adjusting it is really, really important. If you go at it with a set of uh, adjustable wrench, yeah. if you go at it with an adjustable wrench, you're only supporting two sides of that. And when you start to tweak on it, it just rolls right over and it deforms and it's, then it's fucked. Once a nipple on a spoke wrench or a spoke is fucked, it's done. Nothing will tighten it anymore except vice grips. What's your opinion on taking the, the wheel and or tube off yeah. 
and using a, a big flathead to adjust them from so the, the inside. So the backside has a giant flathead on it for most times. And but, I'd say for gross stuff, when you're building a wheel, that's super fast. Yeah. yeah. So when you're building a wheel from Jump Street, and I've only built a handful of wheels from Jump Street. If I was working on any used wheel, the first thing I would do is spray it down with some sort of penetrating. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because you'll know, like when you start turning them, you'll be turning them and all you're doing is twisting the spoke. Right. And then exactly. all of a sudden, tink, tink. It, yeah. it goes a little bit. Yeah. And you're just going, tink, tink. Penetrant on an old wheel, penetrant is the answer. And we said the nipples themselves are always made of softer metal. And it's not brass per se, it's an alloy, but it's going to be softer than the spoke itself because that's the idea. Is they're not if they're homogenous metals, they're going to fuse. They're going to rust together. They're going to bind. So yeah, if you're going to genius adjust, if you're going to adjust your spoky spokes, spend a buck or two and get actual proper spoke wrenches. Uh, motorcycle spoke wrenches are not the same size as bicycle spoke wrenches. It is the same science, but it's not the same size. Become a tool. Do they make the, the motorcycle ones like the little loop? Like yeah, that? loops. They yeah. make them. Okay. Yeah, I like these because you get a lot more leverage. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And yeah, oh, that, so these you get a lot more leverage. That's the best thing you could possibly have. Right these there. guys are one of those things that I bought maybe 25, 30 years ago. I bought a set of Motion Pro. I'm surprised I haven't stolen that off of you. Although yet. You I didn't know, know you had now? that. You know what? <laughs> if you were building a wheel or Looking starting really good. out with the stuff really yeah. far out. The loop would be nice to kind of get it going because you wouldn't have to take it off every. Right. Just, well, what John was saying is, when you build a wheel, you use the flathead on the inside of the spoke oh, nipple, right, right. and just use the flathead and zip, 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 zip yeah. those on. And you can zip those on pretty good when you're building the wheel. Yep, yep. And then make your fine adjustments with the the shouldered edges. That makes sense. It's uh, yep. it's just an easier way to put a wheel together. That's it. Anybody else got anything else? Not you guys, I want to call your attention to this is podcast number what, 291? 291. 291. I feel like this was a purely motorcycle podcast. Oh, my God. You're right. We, we really nailed it this time. I think we did. Do we do a joke? Do we do a Patreon? No, we no. We did like nothing Just but motorcycle shit from the start to the end. It is pure fucking motorcycle madness. We had a tech tip. Holy we shit. Had we had a special we had tools? guest. We had a special guest. Fucking tool time. Special I feel like we're, we didn't have Hoff. Hoff must be hammered. He oh, never called. Yeah. He never. Well, that's fine. But like, he's on vacation. Good he's for on him. vacation. Let him have fun. Let him have fun. We but should salute him. To Hoffer, the grumpy scooter guy. Everybody, or the grumpy sewer guy. Everybody, take two steps away from your microphone and say something unintelligible. <laughs> and then I had to go to work at four a.m. <laughs> <laughs> and then drink all my strand hands. <laughs> I wonder if he'll listen to this. Oh, I doubt it. <laughs> He's he's listening to us. I right love when I watch. So when I watched the video, and as soon as I was watching last week's video for two ninety, yeah, and I saw the floating John Mecklefresh head. Yes. So I saw the floating John Mecklefresh head with the with the poorly animated jaw. That was purposely. Yeah, it was perfect. Was it? So, I didn't even oh, so here's the so thing. I so was going to try to look at the video, but yeah. I never. So here's the thing. I felt really bad. So, so we said I got to watch these things for the special <laughs> effects. No. So here's the thing. Well, here's the reason. I actually went back and listened to it a little bit just to hear like. Oh, no, but here's the reason. Good. So like we set the camera up, and I wasn't in my seat because right. I was setting the we camera. We had a really up. good camera, and, and I was like, week. "Oh, this looks great!" And right. then I sat down, and I sat down right in front of you the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, "Well, that's not fair to John." But there so was I, a microphone. So believe me, I don't care. So you were sitting here. Yeah. So I took your picture from Facebook and I animated your jaw, and I have it floating over here, right. so that you were in in the podcast. In the podcast, <laughs> but it's just your head going. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> Yeah, it's fucking hilarious. It's good. I like it. I think it's fun. So that's it. Anybody else got anything else? No. Fuck it. Ride right. fast. Take chances. All right. I'm going to push the grease red button.
Oh, 